Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 730 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah. All right, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs>the Superpod Hero Cast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. Episode 64. I'm Casey. R- no. Yes. Yeah, you get it. You, no, it's 64. God right. damn it. All right. <laughs> Episode 64. I'm Casey Ryan. And I'm Todd Panic. And we watched X-Men. First class. There we go. Yeah, we did sure. that on the fly and it worked out fine. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, man. This, hey, uh, man. It was nice to watch a movie I I enjoyed watching. I was I can't even tell I can't even tell you how many times I was watching it going oh I'm just so enjoying this and it's this just, is a it's movie also a, it's a good movie it, like, it is a movie but it's a movie I didn't see in the theater no I had, I, I skipped I had it given too. up yeah I, I was like you know following X Men Origins Wolverine Move. I was like yeah that's a that's a hard pass for me on the rest yeah, of the X Men films. Well, and then I saw it when it came out. I was like, oh, it's really good. And then I bought it when it was like cheap on DVD, popped right. it in last night. And about 20 minutes into it, I'm like, why don't I visit this more? This is a fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I'm, as I was watching it, I was thinking, I, I've seen it before, but I wonder if, like, when I watched it before, I wonder if I didn't even watch it, like, sit down and watch it in one take. Because mm-hmm. my memories of it are kind of choppy and jump around a little bit. And watching it through, I was like, yeah, I don't recall seeing this in a single, <laughs> you know, in a single setting. setting. Yeah. 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 I, I kind of feel like about this movie the way I felt about Ant-Man. Had zero interest even after its release. But then when I caught it, I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And also, much like Ant-Man, it's the, it's the script. The script's good for both of those. But it's the actors. I mean... I'm having a hard time figuring out who uh, the actor having the most fun is. That's, yeah. that's a tough one. 
Yes, yes. I was I was thinking in in terms of where you know, like, why is this so much? Why is this the best X Men film hmm, that that we get? Um, and I, you know, there, there's talent in all the movies, so it's not that. So I I think it is. I think it's the script and the direction. Oh yeah. Well, Matthew Vaughn's a great director. Ma- clearly, yes, one hundred percent. Cannot wait for. Uh, is it King's Man? This in her. I don't know. King's Golden Man Circle her, was. Uh, wait, wait. Did Matthew Vaughn do Golden Circle? Was I he back for the sequel. Thought he was. Yes, he was. And he's yes. And then the King's Man, which is supposed to release this year. Yeah. Nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did you see the thing? That, so. They announced Mulan is going to come to Disney Plus, but you got to pay thirty bucks for it. What? That's, oh yeah, that's oh yeah. Because they figure if you take a family of four, seven, so they're giving us a deal, right? Seven fifty a piece. Mm-hmm. Yikes! Oh well, that's but you a, have to have a a, a subscription to Disney Plus also. Yeah, that's nope. So I I saw that it was coming to Disney Plus. Didn't know that it was a premium. Uh, we'll wait until it's release free yeah there are some rumors around that uh black widow may they may do the same thing the same thing so that that one i'll pay for that one i'll pay for fuck yeah it i've been waiting for this movie for so long i I know (laughs) i know i know yeah uh king's uh so the king's man wikipedia is showing it as having a uh september 18th release date in the united states is that like the Bill and Ted movie where it'll be limited and VOD the same day? That's a great that's a great question. Now this note is from oh no, you know what? I'm sure that so that was a note from November of last year. Oh that's not happening. It. So yeah, I'm I'm sure it's I'm sure it's not now. Yeah, did you see that Bill and Ted's gonna come out September first on VOD? I did not. Yeah, well, Joe's well, gonna be excited about that. Joe, he's a big fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, and, man. uh, um, oh, guy who played Death. What's his name? William Sadler. Yeah. Thank you. William Sadler's back as Death. Re- you see death. him in the trailer. He's uh, in, he's oh, yes. like in we, the nether world in the trailer playing with a tether ball. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I love sure. William Sadler. He's great. Tales yeah. from the Crypt Demon Knight, underappreciated contender for horror film. Because I was thinking about that the other day, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to come up with a I think a short list to go to the Patreon folks when we say best and worst. I'm thinking we give them three to five to choose from. Mm-hmm. Do we say, do we want to start best and then do worst or worst than best? I think worst than best. <laughs> so so our first Patreon of next year is gonna be uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Two. Oh, <laughs> see, I don't even know. Day. Oh yeah, that's clearly got to be a contender because we referenced it organically. Uh, but yeah, I was thinking that. What other? Oh, yeah. see, that's going to be mall. the easy one. Is is bad Worst. horror because okay. there's so much bad horror out there. It's going to be harder to pick good, true horror films. There okay. are horror films that lean on other genres. Cabin in the Woods, um, <laughs> but. A true good horror film. What genre is Cabin on the Woods leaning in? Comedy. It's meta. Comedy. Oh. It's a comedy mm. horror. Mm. 
because it is meta, because it is making fun of it. It's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. uh, I'll be putting that up as a contender for best movie. So You just just want to talk about Kevin Lewis? I just want to talk about Kevin Lewis. It's it's all been a grand ruse to get that into our... No. So my short list, I was thinking of that. What would that be? Again, not the horror aficionado that you are, but Mm -hmm. I figured if you're saying, you know, greatest horror movies, I'm thinking... Cabin in the Woods, Scream, but that's also meta. So if you pull back from that, then I would say, so I think Wes Craven has to show up. So then if you no, don't say TSPHC Scream, Army, what you're hearing here is Todd likes meta horror movies. I do. <laughs> but I, I, I could substitute for Scream, I could substitute Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. And then Exorcist. <laughs> I would say ever, those are the big oh, three big. Exorcist might be, that's a fucking terrifying movie. That, so I, I saw that in IMAX. Oh, uh, I don't Fuck. know that I've ever seen no. all of it all the way through. So, oh, nope. did that just skew the? All right, no, nope. <laughs> it's oh boy. When what she, would you? Oh, good. We saw it for the re-release when they added all the extra footage. I, mm-hmm. I an IMAX theater full of people screaming. <laughs> it's real rough. <laughs> I was like, oh, but, <laughs> I bet you were getting fear sweat in there. Unless, oh, you, can sm- you can smell. Oh, yeah, fear it sweat. was. Yeah, I, I mean, this was. 2000. This is when I was sure. living in New York. So, oh, wow. Uh, if so, just to kind of put a pin in this conversation, or I guess to, to close this out nicely, off the top of your head, top three contenders, best horror film of all time. Well, right now, I really want to suggest to people to go see The Rental, uh, Dave Franco's um, directorial mm-hmm. debut. It's the right kind of horror for almost everybody because okay. it's not gory horror it's more thriller suspense i mean there is definitely a horror aspect to it if you ever worry people are watching you don't watch this movie um <laughs> <Got> it. <laughs> it's it's good it's uh allison brie and um uh dan stevens from downton abbey okay doing a really interesting really? specific american accent it's not just i'm I'm British, so I need to talk like this to cover him. He's like got like a dialect. It's really no cool. Um, and it's and, got Jeremy Allen White from Shameless, right? He's and Josh, that's what I was trying to think. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's wonderful. I he's so he good in it. And uh, the third actor, I can't. No, the fourth actor, I can't think of her name. Uh, Sheila Vand Mina. Oh no, Sheila Vand as Mina. Yeah, she was really good. I'd never seen her or anything, but she was great. And Toby Huss. I see him, but I don't know who that is. Who did you watch? Sort of trust? Did you finish it? Uh, yes. He's the guy and that I... they try and sell the sword to. Right. Got it. Yep. <laughs> That's actually trying to just collect all the Nazi, you know, all the stuff. <laughs> Not yes. the Nazi, the Confederacy. Well, at this point, potato, potato. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. You're not wrong, but shots fired. <laughs> yeah, stop flying the losing flags, idiots. <laughs> oh my. All right. Uh, hey, Casey, we're not here to talk about horror movies. Though. Oh, but but no, no. But I'm sorry. What would what was your short? Uh, what was your short, short list? list? I have a soft spot also for Jeepers Creepers. Okay. Because uh, there's a broad daylight scene that actually made me go. Ah, is that the guy uh, in the cornfield. Well, that's two. Or, or, yeah. Okay, and who was in two is uh, Ray Wise, who was in this movie. Ray Wise, yeah, showed up. I was like, "Hey, buddy, hey, pal." Yeah, oh. there's a there's a whole lot of that guys in this movie. Well, we have the ultimate that guy, Glenn Morshower. 
Oh, <laughs> General or Colonel Hendry. Hendry, yeah. yeah. I mean, he is, he has got to be the first that guy actor. I mean, he shows up, you go, oh, him. He was in did 24 and the Transformers movie playing General Morshower. <laughs> Come on, seriously? They're just like, eh, fuck it. We don't care anymore. Fuck it. <laughs> uh, you know who it's got, who, who's one of my go-to that guy actors? I love him, is uh, James Remar. Yes. Uh, he's a he, general. In the tiniest part. Yeah. Just like, like shows up, boop, and he's gone. Oh, it was Day Player. Yeah. Oh, oh, 100%. Did he do something with Matthew Vaughn, I'm wondering? Mm, I, great question. I don't know. Okay. Well, that can be for our, someone in the army to uh, figure out and send us the information yeah. on. Hey, Casey, if somebody wanted to reach out to us on social media, what would be the best way to find us? Well, one way would be you could email us that at superpodherocast at gmail.com because... Only Cap writes letters. Tony. Or if you want to talk to Todd or I directly, I am on Instagram at not.ryancasey and I am on Twitter at notryancasey. How about you, Todd? Uh, find me on Twitter or Instagram with a handle at TMP in SYR, or I've got a website where I write occasionally and that is TMP in SYR.com. Now, if none of that appeals to you emailing, let's say you don't want to email, but you want to tweet to us, you yes. can just tweet to both of us at TSPHC tweets. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Todd, you know, the moniker for our podcast, right? Well, we are guys with beers talking about movies with capes. So... I guess the question would be... What are we drinking? Thanks, All right. one of our wives. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Lovely ladies, both. Uh, so we are, um, no surprise, headed over to Branching Out Bottle Shop yesterday to pick out our beer selection. As usual, I mean, again, they never let us down. Finest beer selection in all of central New York. Had no trouble finding a beer to pair with our movie this evening. Um, I did note, uh, as I promised in our last episode, I dropped the bag of movie slips off to you so that you are responsible for our selection. Did you fish the goodie out of the bag for for you? No. Well, take a, there's a there's a non-movie slip <gasps> in that bag. What is this? So, Branching Out Bottle Shop is has a collaboration brew they did and I I I feel bad I should have grabbed the information, uh, but they connected they connected with a brewer so they have their own beer. Sky Raisins, named after Barley's uh, constant uh, protection of the sky mm-hmm. over the sales counter. Um, and so that is on the label of the can. So Carissa contacted a sticker company, and she was like, can you just do the outline of Barley? So um, there you go, buddy. TSPHC Army, I'm going to put this up on our Instagram, which is superpodherocast at... No, not at Gmail. Which is superpodherocast and... Oh my gosh, Carissa and Joel. How cute. Thank you. This is adorable. This captures Barley perfectly. It really does. It really <laughs> does. Uh, so we'll have to keep that in mind. So Sky Raisins is the name of the beer. Um, you know, I'm thinking either we we get really aggressive in linking that to a theme in the movie, or we just do a, uh, we just call an audible, and I feel like we need to drink their signature beer. I mean, did they help design the beer? Oh my it's god! A collect- we, yeah. Yes, yeah. we need to. That's so, awesome. Yeah, and you know, maybe so. Let's figure out. Depending on what movie we pull, we'll do that, and maybe we'll ask Joel and Carissa to uh, send us a little audio clip of how this came to be, and we can drop that in when we drink it. 
Perfect. Beautiful. I love it. All right. Well, uh, we're not drinking Sky Raisins this evening. No. Uh, but we are drinking a, a beer from New York, as we often try to do. Mm-hmm. So our beer comes to us from Crossroads Brewing Company, which is uh, downstate Hudson Valley. Their mantra is humble folk, humble brews. Kind of like that. Uh, mm-hmm. The beer this evening is their unfiltered IPA. It's uh, a little bit bitter, 70 IBUs, 6.2 ABV. But this is their 2018 TAP New York bronze medal winner for best IPA in New York State. It uses Mosaic, Eldorado, and Amarillo hops. And as befitting the movie in which we basically start over with the X-Men franchise, mm-hmm. our beer this evening is New Normal. Yeah. All right, I'm going to crack this bad boy open. Ooh, that smells like an IPA. Oh, my. Where? I was in the Catskill region today. Oh, so uh, they've got two locations, Catskill, New York, and Athens, New York, which are both kind of in that lower Hudson Valley area. Mm-hmm. I was in the Hudson, I was right near uh, Roscoe Brewing, which I think we've had a beer from them, haven't we? I feel like we have. Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you what it was, but yes. I could barely right, tell you so, what today is. I hear you. All right, hey, buddy. This is going to taste good. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, that is very smooth and refreshing. It is. Ooh. It's got the oh the IPA bite. There it uh-huh. is. Right at the end there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So once again, I mean. I felt like I was you the sweaty uh, balls uh, NPR. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's, that's right. nice. No that's one right can resist my sweaty balls. <laughs> that's right. Uh, so once again, Syracuse, New York area, you got to head over to Branching Out Bottle Shop, the finest beer selection. They will not let you down and say hi to Barley. And get a sticker. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Okay, uh, we, again, don't have any reshoots and reactions. Next episode, I feel we're just going to have a barrage. An avalanche, an avalanche, yeah, an avalanche. 100%. <laughs> an avalanche, yeah. Extraordinary avalanche. Um, <laughs> I, I got to diverge for a second. When, when Danny and I... Sure, talk, we do that sometimes. Once in a while. Uh, when Danny and I were still teaching uh, advanced musical theater, we did... Uh, the Ballad of Sweeney Todd, Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd, that song, yeah. the opening number. And um, we kept saying, don't, you know, don't say Sweeney Todd because we're Syracuse, yeah. Sweeney Todd. Yep. <laughs> like, make sure you're, you're no, we don't want British accents, but make sure none of your A's. Mm. <laughs> One kid, <laughs> One of the lines. So was Dane little- DeHaan in the show? <laughs> exactly. That's that's what we were trying to have them not do. <laughs> he uh, he was right by me, and he when we could be close to people. Uh, and he goes right. uh, a lava bow and a fancy chair. I looked at him and went fancy chair because it's supposed to be fancy, but he didn't want to yeah. be fancy. And it's like a fancy chair, a fancy chair. <laughs> okay, it's very proper, very proper. All right. Hey, did you see that? Uh, no, you you probably don't have left the dial on your um, podcast feed, do you? No, I just don't have enough. I just don't have enough they time to listen to audio takes episode. <gasps> what stealing oh. from the from within? Well, I like to think we're a good. Uh, you know, we're a good example for them. Was this, was this the long con? They they like we know we can't do an episode this day. Let's <laughs> get right. to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Very canny, those two. Uh, let's All do right. a Battlestar Galactica update. Have you watched Battlestar Galactica yet? I've I've not. Okay. I've not. That's no, we, we just, we just I've, we've been a little. You know, we've also been you know peeking behind the scenes. We've also been every week recording, mm-hmm. which is a little bit tight. So I next think, for both I our mean, schedules, it, it, we don't have to record for a while now. Peek behind the curtain. So sure. Uh, you now have to get it on Peacock though, but it's free on Peacock. Just okay. download the app. All right. And they actually will give you three months of premium for free because you're oh, on Android. <laughs> They're like, we're sorry, we fucked up with Roku and Amazon. Oh. Let's uh, just give you some free shit. <laughs> they did the uh, Vulcan mind wipe. All right. That's not, that's uh, not oh, a we'll, thing. we'll talk about that later. That's Isn't not a it? thing. No, Vulcans Vulcan can't. Mind... No. Isn't it? Vulcan do neck pinch no. and mind melt. They don't wipe your yeah. mind, they melt them. Oh, boy. Yeah. Star Trek. Did you did you not notice me uh, piece out of the Star Trek conversation in our thread? It was a, it was a good conversation. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. I don't know why so, you, no, you don't like Trek. Uh, I, you know, honestly, I like The Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage, Voyage Home, Home. and then... Uh, have you never seen The Undiscovered Country? Which one's that? Christopher Plummer is a Klingon. Eh, it's okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that one's okay. It's okay. And then I, I keep and then I like, like the J.J. Abrams. The, you like Return of the Jedi as your favorite. Isn't that the best Star Wars movie? <laughs> Wrong. <clears throat> the murder teddy bears? They're the best. Uh, just murder bears. Don't. <laughs> don't try and punch up my, my joke that I stole from yeah. Kevin Smith. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. Okay. So no reshoots and reactions. Nope. What's, um, the, uh, what's the... Uh, IMDb score for this. Yes, a 7.7 out of 10, which struck me as a little low, to be yeah, honest with you. That sounds a little low, but what, let's save that for the end. Yeah. Now, th- with the <laughs> we- exception of one cameo, this is an entirely new casting. Uh, two cameos. Oh, boy. Oh, right, right. There yes. Yeah, no, no. Yep, <laughs> got it. Yep. His and hers. Got it. All right. Uh-huh. Uh, both of those cameos brilliantly done. Yep. A hundred percent. Do you know the story behind Hughes? Uh, I heard him say that, uh, well, I'm sure you've got a better story for it. Go ahead. So they asked him if he would do it. He said, I'll do it. I only want to be on set one day done. And, uh, I want to say fuck. And they went, okay, well, I guess we can. Okay. Uh, so originally he, he won. He did eight takes one through seven. He said, fuck off. And on eight, he said, go fuck yourself. And the reaction from <laughs> McAvoy and Fassbender is genuine. They're like, Oh, that, well, all right. That's different. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not even a scene. It's literally a line in a reaction. It's literally Might a cameo. Favorite. It, yeah, might be my favorite movie in the whole uh, favorite moment in the whole movie. It's just so perfect. And I don't. I, I wonder if they added the because they would have had to set it up the shot where he looks back and looks at them again. I always remember it just being they walk in, go fuck yourself, and they leave. But I wonder too. if they thought I, it was too quick because it, studio executives thinks their audiences are a bunch of idiots. So they're like, no one's gonna yeah. know that's one of the most famous faces in all of America. <laughs> I would hope not. No, I mean, listen, my assumption is, so you got him for one, you've got him for one. You want to get some coverage. Right? 
You want exactly. So my assumption is they had a whole bunch, and it's not like you're setting up differently. Well, you might set up a little bit differently, but you're not moving your whole setup for. Yes, you are for the lighting in that bar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had oh. to reset that. That that's not sure, a sure, sure. That's not a multicam kind of shot because it's just him. Right. Right. It's uh-huh. not just him. If it was just him. He looks back, but it's the the lighting of it. It would not have worked. Did, have we said who Got this it. is? Two Jackman. Just in case. well, I mean, <laughs> I, it, listen. It, uh, well, again, if you haven't watched this movie, don't listen to this episode. Go you watch stop. the movie. Then Here, hang on. Stop. All right. If you and if you okay. haven't watched the movie, if you're still just listening to us, we're going to spoil it, and it's going to be all your fault. I don't want to be edited by anyone. <laughs> Listen, I feel I have no mercy for anyone who downloads an episode of our movies in which we clearly say what movie we're watching and listens and then is surprised when we spoil the movie. So, yeah, I feel I'm like just, that's reasonable I, expectation. There are some, though, that don't. But I, I just uh, listening to uh, another great Syracuse based podcast, um, Good Morning Nancy, they always do that. They're always like, hey, we're not light on spoilers, so if you haven't watched the movie and you want to, pause here, okay? I, and, and I'm like, okay. That, I mean, it's just a nice thing. We don't well, we, we don't have to necessarily do the pause part, but we can definitely say spoilers abound in this. I, I mean, I, I, guess. I get I yeah, well, we sure, have that's fair. I guess if you I, I guess if, the movie we're talking about, Todd, that, um, I think we'll agree that we disagree. Oh, well, <laughs> still editing the main chunk of the movies episodes. <laughs> Dumbledore, I got Snape kills Dumbledore. Oh, I got no problem bleeping you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So, um, how about so? Let's start talking about a little bit of the production be, because this is a big shift. It's they basically toss out everything they had, which, frankly. After X3 and X-Men Origins Wolverine isn't a bad idea, and they commit this hard. That's what she said. <laughs> um, now, on the producing side, there's a number of names that are connected to the earlier X-Men films. Lauren mm-hmm. Schuler donner Brian Singer, Simon Kinberg. Um, we talked about Matthew Vaughn. So Matthew Vaughn directs this. He's got great credentials. Um, I'm a big fan of his. Layer Cake, have you ever watched, have you ever seen that? Is his first uh, directorial film. And um, what kind of made um, Daniel Craig a name? I think so. 2003 oh, or 2004. Cake. What's the one with? No. Desert? Layer Cake. No, Daniel Craig's in this. Okay. In Layer then, Cake. Yeah, I think yeah. that's one of his first yeah. big movies. Yeah. So uh, Layer Cake, then he writes and directs Stardust, adaptation of a Neil Gaiman film with, with Which I've never seen. Robert De Niro. Uh, it's on my list too. It's on my, it's on my constant list to watch and, with uh, Daredevil, Charlie Cox, Charlie Cox, and someone else big is in there. Uh, well, De Niro, uh, Ricky Gervais, Sienna Miller, Claire Danes. No, I mean, it's, is, is, uh, Tilda Swinton in there? Um, uh, Jason Fleming, Azazel, Mark Strong, Michelle Pfeiffer. That's, um, that's who I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Pfeiffer. Yeah. Peter O'Toole, Ian McKellen. Holy cow. Ian Why have I not watched? I need to make some time for this. Henry Cavill. David Kelly. Henry Cavill. <laughs> Funny. Superman. Yep. Wow. There's uh okay. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to devote some time to that. We're gonna have to watch that. Um, but uh, prob- I would suggest that other than so 
Matthew Vaughn directs X-Men First Class and then X-Men Days of Future Past and then goes into the Kingsman franchise. Kingsman The Secret Service, then The Golden Circle, and then the as-yet-unreleased The King's Man, which is the the prequel setup. Right. Um, This film is written by a number of folks, not surprising, you know, given the size of the property and how many movies we're in. Um, So one of them, Ashley Miller, we've seen his work before from Thor. Uh, which also came out in 2011, as this film did. Um, He also wrote a little bit for TV. Jack Stentz, same thing, also wrote on Thor. Also did the um, Rim of the World, that Netflix uh, movie that was like the kids' sci-fi. Did did we talk about that? It was fun. We watched it with the boys. It was Rim of the World. Yeah, uh, it's a fun... It's a fun alien invasion movie from a from like these tweens perspective. It's it's pretty good. Not to be confused um, with the adult film Rimming the World. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, also written by Jane Goldman, uh, uh-huh. who uh, she, that was a name that was new to me. So she co-wrote Stardust with Matthew Vaughn, also oh. Kick Ass with Matthew oh. Vaughn. Um, X-Men First Class, Days of Future Past, Kingsman. So, frequent collaborator with Matthew Vaughn. Um, okay. Those are the uh, screenplay credits. What do you got for... You got anything for casting? <laughs> oh, you must. Okay. <clears throat> Wait, I, this is one of those moments I wish that we had video all the time. Because... <laughs> that's right. Because that... So uh, let's let's talk about uh, Mr. Stan Lee does not have a cameo in this film. One of only two X movies where he does not have a one for what was it X Men two, two I think. And he, he said they I filmed said, this too far away. This was too far away for X Men two. It was nobody called me. <laughs> oh, which is just classic Stan. Where this was filmed in England, right? Uh. Let's see the you know I skip I typically skip over that which is fair um, yeah so Oxford England also in um, Washington D.C. oh sure when they're sitting there at the, the monument yeah which is where they could have the Moha- put him <laughs> the Mojave Desert um, also other places uh, Tybee Island Thunderbolt which is in Georgia Savannah Georgia. So, um, yeah, uh, so I'm surprised by that. I mean, like, I don't think that's that far away. But but to be fair, Stanley, you know, had a lot of health issues at the end of his life. Sure. Um, uh, Eddie Gathagi, I think is how you say his name, Gathagi, uh, the guy who plays Darwin, uh, originally yes. read for the role of Banshee. I saw that. Tayana McManus, who played not Emma Frost, but another diamond-skinned person in um, X-Men Origins Wolverine, was considered to become Emma Frost in this. But I think when they did that, that's... I mean, I think she's supposed to be in X-Men Origins, but then when they made X-Men First Class and gave to someone else, they're like, oh, no, she's not. We don't want to talk about that movie ever, 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 ever again. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Uh, Josh Hutcherson and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson were rumored for Cyclops. I'm guessing in an early draft. Sure, if Cyclops he does doesn't make appear. a, an appearance, but as a young boy, um, mm. when he's using Cerebro, yeah, you see him real. Oh, quick. okay. 
Interesting. Uh, oh boy. Okay. Uh, Jason Baird, Boyd Holbrook, Jonas Armstrong, Patrick J. Adams, Jamie Dornan, and Tom Parker. This is my favorite one. Screen tested for several characters in the movie. So, bunch of white dudes trying to be put in white dude parts. Yep. <laughs> uh, Alice Eve was originally cast as Emma Frost, and Benjamin Walker, who I don't know him, uh, was Beast. Uh, but they dropped out and later appeared in the cinematic Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, oh, uh, Eric Gelding. I, that's got to be season two of Jessica Jones. Oh, yeah. Which I, I never got that. around to. Um, and Alice Eve was typh- Typhoid Mary in Iron Fist, which I never oh. finished. So these are a lot of lot of British actors, which I read that um, uh, Matthew Vaughn wanted to use a friend of his, a guy who's who's um, Bill, Bill Taylor in Band of Brothers. That, that actor is a friend of Matthew Vaughn's, also British. And I think the studio pushed back. They're like, you know, you got enough British performers in there. Let's get some Americans. So he I wonder if that actually have any British performers. McAvoy's well, Irish I, and you, Fast yeah, Irish. I'm sorry. You, UK. Yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah, My there apologies. You there you I was like, neither one of them are actually British. They're yeah. Irish and... Uh, Nicholas Irish. Holt. Oh, he is British. Yep. He's yep. the only... Uh, I, I keep forgetting because his American accent is so stellar. Like... It's. I don't yeah. think I've ever heard him speak in his natural accent. I, you know, I was surprised. So again, watching this movie again was mm-hmm. was a pleasure in a number of sense in a number of ways. Um, I forgot how much I really enjoyed him in this movie. He's one of, in my opinion, he's like the emotional heart of this movie. One hundred percent. Yeah, and we'll yeah. talk about he's some of wonderful. the stuff with him and. Uh, when we get into the movie, uh, speaking of beast, sure. Lucas mm-hmm. Till was originally cast as beast, but decided not, but decided to, because of the amount of makeup that he wanted to play havoc instead. Must be so nice to I've, just be like, Hey, I know you cast me as this one character. Put me as this other character in your film. Yeah. You know, Jason Fleming, who gets cast as Azazel, mm-hmm. also specifically had avoided, um, he was considered for Beast in The Last Stand, but he said, you know, I've had enough with the makeup roles because he played Calabos in Clash of the Titans. Well, and he was also in, in The League of Extraordinary. Extraordinary. And he was yeah. all in stupid makeup in that, too. But yeah. He did as a, um, he's but, friends with Matthew Vaughn. So he did it for him. Oh, that makes sense. Um, but I wondered though, are we reaching a point because you know we've heard that consistently in many movies, and and it makes sense for the kinds of transformation that these transformations that these roles require with makeup. How 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 many years away do you think are we from the place where it'll all be? Like we'll do digital mapping of your face and then the actor will just be there maybe with the dots on their face and they'll just be acting and then we'll map a digital mask over that. And then instead of sitting in makeup for four hours, you've got 20 minutes for the, for the dots to be placed on your face. Well, we're already there. Cause that's what happened with, uh, Thanos Hulk. and Hulk. Thanos. Sure. I mean, look yeah, that's at what I mean. Robert like, so, Jr. is walking around with just the chess piece and in street clothes. And I'm sure a lot of those other actors are like, 
What the fuck? Right. Right. Dave Batista's like, son of a bitch. I got to get me that. Um, But Oh, so I mean, right. Like we're no, but I mean, like, I I feel like we're pretty close to that. And um, unlike a, a, a pure CGI character where the actor would just be providing the voice. I'm okay with that idea of if you're mapping their face and you're able to translate movements of the face you know, and bring that to a digital character. I think I'm okay with that. I mean, I to mean, your point, look, the ones you just talked about, look yeah. what, look what we get out of yeah. those. And I mean, like, um, I don't know. There's something to be said about how cool beast looks in this movie with the actual, yes. like to the point where I was like, Oh, he's wearing digital. He's wearing prosthetics, but everything else is digital. And then I read, that all of his fur is made out of Arctic fox fur. And I'm like, oh, wait, he's got, holy shit, that's, and, and uh, the, the problem is in the next movie, it changes completely. Yeah, I, I wonder if the, and again, I feel like that is a significant <clears throat> commitment. When you go down that route, just mm-hmm. what that takes every day. Um, so, well, not every day. Is, I this, mean, there's a large chunk of this movie where he is not beast oh, oh sh- sure y- beast. yes yeah. yes but, but once he becomes blue beast i mean that's four hours to apply that well and, four and, hours. and i think this is the last movie where uh mystique is done as actual body applications oh really in days of future past i'm 95 percent sure it's just like with the little girl in this it's a bodysuit and then just some stuff on her face got it oh well which I'm sure uh, Jennifer Lawrence was very happy about. Uh, yeah, I I see a note here the f- from the Wikipedia page. Uh, so Lawrence's makeup was an eight-hour process, um, and the first day with makeup caused blisters to appear on her upper body. Ouch. That ex- also explains why they moved to a bodysuit for her and why sure. Mystique spends most of the movie with it not with like not naked. Not in like in blue form. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, okay. Sarah Harding, I don't know who that was, was called back three times for Emma Frost. I'm sorry, Miss Harding, that you had to go through that. Uh, Broadway actor Benjamin Walker. Oh, that's that's who it was. Uh, Benjamin Walker, he's a Broadway actor. He dropped out of playing Beast to be in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson. That um, sounds like a show that I would not see. How? Isn't it like 1776? No. Same thing. Who cares? No, it's more in line <laughs> was, with like uh, Hamilton. <laughs> like it's it's a oh, rock okay. musical, I believe. Oh, okay. Uh, right. Or it may well, just be I a play. I'm not sure. Uh, Rosamund Pike <laughs> was considered for Moira McTaggart and uh-huh. later for Emma Frost. Sure, she could do either one of those just fine. Uh, Rosamund Pike. The name is definitely familiar. From a British Gone actress. Girl. Oh, oh, oh! She's oh yeah, she's wonderful. She's, wonderful. she's a great actor. Yeah, um, she's scary. Holy shit. Especially in Gone Girl. Spoilers for Gone Girl. Uh, Taylor Lautner was considered to play Hank McCoy. Of course he was, because he's uh, <laughs> of course he was. gymnastics. Uh, sure. But dropped out due to my favorite thing. What is it? Scheduling conflicts. You have to know the dates of the shooting before you audition for the film. <laughs> like, how does yeah. this happen? Yeah, but, but do you wonder though? Does some is sometimes that such a fluid thing? Like, hey, we're going to start production either in October or next July. You know what I mean? Like, do you think sometimes October to next July if you want to be in the film? 
Oh, I oh. always see scheduling conflicts as something else, and they get away with calling it that. Got it. Um, uh, Amber Heard was rumored to play Mystique before Jennifer Lawrence was cast. Okay. But the biggest disappointment. She didn't get to beat anybody up in the movie. I mean, Amber Heard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Both her and her ex-husband are kind of garbage people. You're not a fan. Yeah. I know either one of them. Uh, and lastly, for the role of Sebastian Shaw. Oh. One Mr. Brian Cranston had to turn it down oh. to do five. No offense to Kevin Bacon, because Kevin Bacon is wonderfully terrifying in this role, but I want to see Brian Cranston. I'm sorry, what did Brian Cranston do? Sebastian Shaw. Oh, what did he do? said Drive. Drive. With, um... Drive. With, uh... What's his name? Notebook. What's his name? Bring it up now. Oh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, that's it. Mm, I don't think have I seen that. This is the movie that famously that. someone sued sued the movie studio and the theater because the trailer for it made it seem like it was Fast and Furious. And it's more of a think piece movie, <laughs> and she successfully I don't know if she's successfully, but she sued. Did both she get the her theater. ticket price back? Oh, and like emotional damage and all this nonsense. I'm sure, sure, sure. It got thrown out, but it wasn't just the studio. She went after the theater. She and like. Dude, the theater's just showing the movie. Oh, like that's... you're batshit crazy to go after the studio, but like you are doubly batshit crazy if you're going after the place that you went to go see this movie. Well, here's an article. Here's a <laughs> so that so Drive comes out in 2011. Uh-huh. But here's an article from 27 January of 2017, which appears to show that. Uh, Oh, I think it's a guy. I think it's... Oh, no, no. Sarah Demings. Yep. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, wait, but there's another... I'm seeing another... I'm seeing a reference to him. Oh, the plaintiff's lawyer. Got it. Uh, is it. Was that still going on? Oh, my God. That was going on into 2017. Okay. Well, I'm, that's as far as I'm going. But uh, oh my TSPHC God. Army, if you know what's going on with that, tell us. That's hilarious. Good Lord. Uh, all right. That's all I all got right. for almost cast. Okay. How much so of then this movie uh, finishing up our <laughs> Yeah, so not cheap. Uh 160 million dollar budget. And it shows. And it uh yes, it, it shows. Does. This is a beautiful um, movie. Nothing, 100%. Looks, nothing looks cheap, nothing looks half-assed. Couple of the effects were a little wonky, but I'm more putting that at technology at the time. Uh yeah. When Banshee flew, I didn't love that effect. Yeah, that's a little. That's the, the first time he flew. I was like, "Yes, oh, okay, you got it." But it looked a little wonky. Yeah, um, but then at the box office, this does three hundred and fifty-four million. So it's a that's commercial success. That's too bad it didn't. Yeah, didn't really. Yeah, make money <laughs> that's back. too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but I gotta ask you again. Now, th- this movie is followed by Days of Future Past. I gotta be honest with you. I don't think the X-Men movies get better than this movie. So when we pull Days of Future Past, we're going to watch the Rogue Cut, which I don't think you've watched. I have not, because they I never rage quit out that, like, of... They, they, they never bring the most power, powerful mutant that they have that can absorb anybody's powers into the fight? Uh, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, that's, yeah, that's yeah, how angry I was at Days of Future Past, yep. 
So there's a rogue cut. Uh-huh. Why was she? Did they have stuff that they filmed? And, they filmed her and, and then they cut it out. What? Yeah. So that's oh, what fuck. we're gonna watch because it it was it was Vaughn's original vision. It's probably why Vaughn okay. left the franchise. Uh, probably that would make sense because again, listen, that's for me. Days of Future Past is probably top two X-Men storylines of all time. Oh, so, I thought you were saying it, it, it was probably one of the worst X-Men movies you've ever seen. I'm like, hey, have you seen Apocalypse? No. Well, no, and no. Oh, you've never seen Apocalypse either? No. Oh. No, I'm wait. No, I'm only going to watch it when I have to for this. Oh, for this, uh, well, no, nah, I haven't seen Dark Phoenix because fuck that. Uh, oh, fuck. We're going to have to watch that, yeah. Yeah, those, Deadpool, are the, oh, those are the next three. But then Deadpool. Then Love. Oh, no. Oh Deadpool no, we've got Logan. we've got the no, we've got the Wolverine. Oh yeah, too. it's somewhere in there. Is it? Is that next? Fuck, we'll figure it out. We're not pulling think, it tonight, so it doesn't matter. We're not pulling it tonight. No, we're totally going to pull something good. We're pulling, we're pulling uh, Winter Soldier. Come on, give me some MCU, buddy. The All best right. Captain America movie ever made. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, except for the moment when. Something happens in Endgame. <laughs> oh, I'm still editing this. So yeah, except when you know. No, don't, don't, don't. Uh, okay. So you know what I like? You know, here in Syracuse, we had a great local comic book store, Cloud City Comics, yeah. which sadly has closed. But they had a great, they had a great policy. Like before the comic book movies come out, and specifically for. Infinity War and Endgame, there were big signs in the shop that if you like, they had like a a period of time, and it was a good, it was a good number of months. If you spoiled that movie in the shop for someone who hadn't seen it, you were banned for life from the Whoa. shop. And I was like, yeah, that's I was nice. like, fuck that, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's what you do. That's how you do it. That's right. All, All right. right, hey, so uh, but we're not here to talk about Endgame. No. Soon, but no, <laughs> not soon. We got a lot of fucking movies to get through before we get to Endgame. Listen, we can do it, buddy. We can do it. Uh, well, <laughs> Power through. We're gonna have to. <laughs> Power through. Would also be really confusing to just jump to Endgame at this point. So apparently, there are these guys out in space. I don't know what the fuck's going on here. <laughs> There's a raccoon space that talks and a, and a tree. <laughs> Squirrel. That's right. Rabbit. Okay. Rabbit. That's right. More power, rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Okay. All right. Let's, if you, let's, keep let's the, uh, if you keep it, you got to cut this because it's all spoilers. All right. So, should we, uh, hey, Todd, should we roll that film? Now, I had an inkling, and I'll be honest with you, I just didn't have time to do it. Um, is it the same thing? I don't think. I don't think it's the same footage, but they, they certainly did a really good job of recreating it. I think they recycled the the overhead shot. <laughs> okay. I oh, think. so you think some of it was old footage? And why not the bars bending saves them money having to redo it for this movie? They own the film. Sure. I feel like there's some stuff. Obviously, the kids knew because he shows up later, and that would yep. be impossible to do because there's like, what was this? 2011. Is eleven, yeah. And the first eleven one years, yeah, yeah. Literally eleven yeah. years. Uh, but two. I'll say this: they do a they do a really good job of recreating you know, that the first scene. Mm-hmm. Movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. So basically, if you saw the beginning of the X of X Men, 
yeah, undoubtedly taking the best moment from the first X-Men movie and recreating <laughs> yeah. it for, for this much better, well put together movie. One hundred percent. So that's Poland in nineteen forty four, and that's Magneto's. You know, Eric Lencher, the man who will be Magneto. Yep, he's just Eric. Well, he gets, point. But, but he gets a name in this oh, yeah. movie. But he's not there yet, and we we have followed the rule. Final five. Okay, so Eric. What um, now? We're in season four, and we're part of a network. We're just gonna like fuck all our rules. Come on, man. That's right. That's how it works. <laughs> uh, but then we shift, and now we're in Westchester, New York. Also in 1944, so we're contemporaneous, and we see who we will learn to be is the young Charles uh, at home in a building that looks very familiar. Mm-hmm. See that again, or we've seen it before. He comes downstairs. He finds his mother in the kitchen in the middle of the night. I didn't mean to scare you, darling. I was just getting a snack. What I don't like here is, and they they kind of got backed into it because uh, in the in the comics, Charles Xavier is not British. But Patrick Stewart was so James McAvoy Scottish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, young Charles and his mother are both speaking with a. Is it a British or your? What did you call it? transatlantic or Atlantic accent? No, they're not doing transatlantic. Across- transatlantic. It's the the, the easiest way to is um. Uh, what is her name? Uh, Catherine Hepburn. Catherine Hepburn okay. had a transatlantic accent. It's this kind Got of it. talking. So. For some reason that is never explained, uh, they're speaking with a British accent. Especially since they're in fucking uh, downstate New York. <laughs> like, how how does he have a British accent? Yeah. Uh, did they did they come from England? It's 1944, so did they flee Great Britain ahead of World War II? Oh, that's we a don't good know. point. That's, that's what they were doing. Okay. Sure. Let's go with that. I noted it and went, eh, okay. The uh, mom gives away that she's not actually the mom by being like, I'll make you a hot chocolate. The kid's like, <laughs> My mother has never set foot in this kitchen in her life. And she certainly never made me a hot chocolate. Unless you count ordering the maid to do it. And the, the mom starts to shrink. And oh my God, it is little, little Raven. Let's call her little, little Raven. Raven. And she is. Yeah adorable she really is you're just a cute little murder kid that's right right. she's not Uh, she's not the murderous uh mystique yet but it is mystique she calls herself raven they bond instantly she he's pretty much like i'm gonna adopt you into our family i'm like what's your mom gonna say the fuck did this kid come from sadly there's a there's a Clearly, a, a sad undercurrent to that. She's essentially a runaway or orphan, depending uh-huh. on how you want to view it. And no one cares about her. And so she's literally surviving by breaking into homes and stealing food. And Charles, uh, the beautiful soul that he is, says, You know, you don't have to steal. In fact, you never have to steal again. And like that, he takes her in. Take whatever you want. We've got lots of food. You don't have to steal. We got back to Poland. Uh, it, oh. it seems like it's maybe a couple days later. Yep. Not a whole lot of time has passed because he doesn't look too deteriorated. And actually, it might be like same day because isn't he wearing the same clothes? He hasn't had his clothes. He hasn't, like, he's not in, like, the... That the mom is. Oh, is she? Okay. The mom's in the stripe. Okay. Maybe he got to keep his clothes because of what Jaw sees Sure. There. We get the wonderful Kevin Bacon uh-huh. as... Uh, Dr. Klaus Schmidt. Yeah. 
doing a great German, not only German accent, but also speaking German quite fluently. Like the entire uh, scene. Does Kevin Bacon just know German? Because of my, I'm going to, I'm just going to chalk it up to it, but because of my dyslexia, I'm going to say I've never learned a foreign language. I'm literally Joey from friends. I can hear a word and I can take it. But then when someone puts a whole thing together, it's just blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have you ever seen that episode? I'm sure I did. I don't remember. He lies. He lies on his resume all the time. And he says that he's fluent in French. So Phoebe tries to teach it to him. Okay. Let's just, let's try it one syllable at a time. Okay. So repeat after me. Je. Je. Ma. Ma. Pel. Pel. Great. Okay. Faster. Je. Je. Ma. Ma. Pel. Pel. Je m'appelle. Mes poupous. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That is not what we get here because Kevin Bacon Mm. really crushes the dialogue and the entire scene is German. So um, they don't even do, they don't even do the movie uh, facade. The ear come out. Yeah. Yeah. They they speak with thick German accents. Yeah. Or they or speak British. With a British accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, bottom line is, uh, Air Schmidt, who, which is a different uh, uh, bad guy in the comics as well, but um, Klaus Schmidt um, witnessed Eric bending the bars as he was brought into the concentration camp, and mm-hmm. he wants to understand the scope of his ability. So, he has a right. small Nazi coin on his desk. Is it a Deutschmark? Would it be considered a Deutschmark then, or was it something different under Nazi Germany? Uh, it I says do- Deutsch, but I don't know what well, the that second just, mark. That just means Germany. Yeah, I know. Well, that just but... means German, yeah. So I don't know if it was the mark. It's a coin, not a bill. Um, right. You know, rampant inflation was part of, the, part of what led to the rise of power of the Nazi party, so... Mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you, um, but so it's very like specifically people with lots of money and power, bad things happen. <laughs> oh, Weird. yeah. It's funny how that works where huh. they have no uh, concern for the cares of the little people. Yeah. Or they do half an hour interviews where they ramble on oh. like batshit crazy idiots. That should time stamp this episode pretty well. <laughs> oh, you're doing death as a proportion of cases. I'm talking about death as a proportion of population. That's where the U.S. is really bad. Well, you can't do that. You have Why to go. Do you have to go by. You have to go by where. Look. So Shaw, now Klaus Schmidt says, "I want you to move this coin, and if you do, you can have a piece of chocolate." So he starts with a sweet thing. The carrot. That's right. He does the, the magneto move. The thing, the thing that has become synonymous with magneto. Yeah, that doesn't work. Schmidt is yeah. visibly disappointed, so he he yells to one of his or does he use his intercom? Doesn't matter. Yep. And he says, uh, "Bring her in." And his mom comes in. There's a the uh, hugging reunion. He pulls out a Walter PPK. No, not a Walter PPK. It's a Luger. A Luger. Thank you. Yep. Walter PPK is James Bond's gun. That's correct. He pulls out a Luger and goes. I'm going to count to three. Eins. And well, this is all in German, sure. obviously. So that's why we're going through it because I can't just drop in the dialogue because yeah, yeah. everyone will go, what? what the fuck is happening? Um, he says, I'm going to count to three and then I'm going to pull the trigger. And he's got to point it at Eric at first. But when he says, and then I'm going to pull the trigger, he points it at his mom. Yeah. So, and you see Eric be like, oh, wait. So Eric is like, trying and like you see the frustration and the anger and the and the terror on his face. Eins feins dry. Boom. 
here's what I like. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughn as a director. I like when mm-hmm. he tells a story. I especially like the way that he will foreshadow or echo things with a different inflection to to make it more powerful. So that movement, that I'm aiming at you, but wait, slowly I'm aiming at someone else. Eric will be involved in that kind of a dynamic again. Sure will. But with a different a different twist on it. And it's just a beautiful way that he sets that up. And it's so simple, and yet it's so powerful when it works. I also like that Matthew Vaughn is obviously not afraid of ultraviolence. Look at <laughs> Kick-Ass 1 and 2. In this movie... And the Kingsman. <laughs> and the Kingsman. When people die in this movie, there's hardly ever any blood... And it's mostly out of focus. The mom falls out of focus. The two other people that are exploded later, you see them light up and then they're gone. And and then that cuts to the next scene. It was very interesting how, like, the most violent thing that happens in this movie is the attack on the compound with Azazel. Sure. Which is one of the most ingenious, like, bad guy attacks ever, which I love. Which is a wonderful scene to um, the point where when it was happening, I was like, Oh, this suddenly got very violent for a second. Cause <laughs> the bean came down during the scene in, uh, in the bar yeah. in Switzerland. <laughs> She's, oh, yeah, she walks yeah. by the TV oh. going like this, holding up her hand. I'm like, you're fine. She's like, Oh no, no, no the, I don't want the bar. This. That's the bar. That's Argentina, Argentina. That's what's right. That's yeah, where the Nazis, that's, that's where all the Nazi, where all the Nazis went. Matthew Bastards. Yeah, you know, I think that that is, I think that's, again, I I think Matthew Vaughn's a good director. I think he chooses what he needs to show depending on the context of the piece. Sure. So Kick-Ass is, is very much a deconstruction of the superhero um, genre. Mm-hmm. You know, it's in, the comic book was intentionally violent and visceral, and he's showing that. But Kingsman, I mean, it, it, it's obviously, you know, there are certain directors that shy away from that kind of violence. Yeah, I, why I think he does it in Kingsman is the abilities of the of the protagonists, you know, the, or the heroes in Kingsman is so amazing to be almost superhuman. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the violence almost kind of grounds it a little bit. Like it brings it back. Like the violence is ugly. It's not, it's not superhero violence where you punch the guy and he's not a meat bag. He doesn't, you know, explode like in the boys. Right. You know, I feel like, so I feel like it's intentional to kind of bring it back to reality when their abilities are far beyond. And I think if this movie had had the violence level that kick ass or, um, the Kingsman had, I would not like this movie as much. Yeah, um, and and this is not what that's going for, right? Like this is right. this movie is specifically shot like a '60s movie. Like he is using the the framing techniques and the lighting techniques that a '60s movie would. And he's not making Deadpool or Logan. He's making a comic book movie, and I think he's working very effectively within that construct. One hundred percent. Eric does not move the coin. Mom is shot. Yeah, Eric freaks the fuck out moves the coin crushes the the helmets on the two ss soldiers that are there yeah holy shit and then just there's like a lab mm-hmm. like that's clearly for horrible nazi experiments yeah and he destroys it and what was so interesting is that not once during any of that does shaw look terrified yeah he's, he's surprised and then he's pleased but he's never like oh god what have i done and then he actually says, uh, 
Um, he basically almost like claps Eric on the back. He's like, uh, he gives him the coin. He's like, we're going to have some fun. And he leaves. It's it's chilling in how casual it is for Shaw. Yep. Something happens to the coin and it flips and it becomes the X-Men symbol. Yep. And then when it flips back around, it is now adult Eric, which is not clear because even though his uh, concentration camp number is the same one that Ian McKellen had in Last Stand, same numbers, you never see it on the boy. Well, we are just probably because are we just supposed to know it's him because he's manipulating the coin? Yeah, absolutely. The the coin is the common thread That's from there. scene to scene. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I, I looked it up because you know you clearly see his numbers there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, did they fuck up or did they do it right? They did it right. It's the same numbers. Uh, not surprised by that. So uh, this is the franchise. <laughs> well, listen, that but that piece that feels specific. Like I would love to know. What I wonder Brian Singer's rationale was behind the original number like i wonder if that i wonder does because magneto in the comics is a concentration camp survivor does he have a number do you ever Mm. see his number on his arm uh not during so not during the period that i was reading the comics Uh um well pretty much by the time you and i were reading it they kind of had to like shy away from it it's like well it's the 90s and he's a well-fit man no no my reading goes back to the so Late 60s, well, late okay. 70s and it, yeah. So, but that would be 30, you know, that late 70s is only 30 years after World War II. I mean, that's. Sure, how, but he would still, yeah. But if he was. I guess that, there, that timeline yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. What's interesting is when, you know, when Cap resurfaces, it's just a couple of decades. You know, I feel like, mm-hmm. I feel like Cap's a more interesting character now because it's, you know. A hundred years almost. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. So, um, all right. Uh, so, so adult Eric, we see he has a uh, crazy per- person map yarn connection thing on his wall. I don't know what that would be called other than that. It's the red yarn map, right? Like there's one connected. Uh-huh. Klaus Schmidt, Sebastian Shaw, Kevin Bacon. Is it? is the focal point of that. Um, we do get a little... And he takes a coin and he forces it to go right into the center of Sebastian Shaw's head. That might be important. We'll come back to that. That can't be good. We know that we are in Geneva, Switzerland in 1962. Oh, yes. I'm sorry. I forgot to say that we jumped to 62. Yep. So then we jump to England, 62. Yep. Uh, we don't get a year, and but we assume that it's the same year because they don't give us a... I'm going to guess that we're just going parallel at this point. I think sure. I think the editor and and Matthew Vaughn is like, if they don't get it by now, I'm, I can't help them. But we have to know it is because where this movie ends up is the Cuban Missile Crisis. So that uh, was 62. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here, here's what I love about this. This actually fixes what for me is a big problem in the earlier X-Men films, which is the creepy interplay between the Rebecca Romaine mystique and the Ian McKellen Magneto, where if you in our earlier episodes, I really actively resisted the idea that they had a sexual relationship because of the age difference. Mm-hmm. The be- but this perfectly corrects that in the revision because they're all comparable ages. Well, and also later in the movie, Beast is going to say, you know, because of your your mutant ability, you have regenerative cells. You'll look 
younger, the, the older we get. That's right. That's right. So, so that that also explains the age difference look of them in X Men One, Two, and Three. One hundred percent. Yeah, she's actually a, a sixty-year-old woman, but she looks, you know, and it absolutely changes that dynamic. That is so creepy when it's Rebecca Romaine and Ian McKellen in this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, in this movie, she looks like a few years it's, younger. It's than, quite sexy. Yeah. Well, yeah. But because both both the people in question here are beautiful, beautiful people. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so you know, we fast forwarded. Um, Charles clearly has. Uh, he's got a gimmick in the pub. He picks up a woman who. Uh, I think Patrick Stewart should have a word with him because it is word for word the beginning of X Men One. Mutation took us from single celled organisms to being the dominant form of reproductive life on this planet. How dare you! It is exactly that. That's I went, brilliant. Motherfucker. Well, that's not accidental. Oh, yeah, it's not. But I don't like that they made it a uh, his pickup line. I'm like, so is, is, is us the. The uh, viewer, are we all being hit on by Patrick Stewart in the first movie? No, I I love it. You know, it it makes you know. I think I'm of the opinion, certainly in the X Men movies, probably right up until X three. I think Professor mm-hmm. X runs the risk of. I don't think he's a very interesting character. No, no. Patrick Stewart, phenomenal actor. The character is that interesting. Professor Xavier, the only times that ever made him interesting is when he could walk for a day or two. Like, and no, no, I'm not trying to say anything anti, you know, no, people no. who are in a wheelchair. I just want to be clear about that. I, it's just, he, he, he never was a very interesting character to me. I think you're exactly right. I think that this is when you see a young, virile, healthy Charles Xavier, who's especially when you got James McAvoy doing, who's a phenomenal actor. I love that dynamic. So he is using the X-Men opening voiceover to pick up on a woman. He's noticed her heterochromia, which is the two different colored eyes. Um, and of course, he's talking about that as mutation. You are a mutant. Raven is watching this. And Jennifer Lawrence, again, if you can buy talent, buy talent. They got it. She's wonderful. Her world-weary view as she's watching him, oh, my God, it's gold. She's wonderful in this. By the time we get to uh, Apocalypse, you're going to be very, it's very clear that she is fucking done with this franchise. <laughs> like, sure. And not just her. Fastbender's kind of like, eh. well, you, I, I think that's- the only one who's still in it, in, uh, I think, in um, Apocalypse is uh, McAvoy. I still think he cares about the franchise. McMurray I don't know Stewart. how. McAvoy Stewart. Um, but it, it, McAvoy Stewart. I can't keep these timelines yeah, straight. But you know, that, and again, that's the problem, it, right? Like, I, I think that's the scripts do, just don't hold up. I think this is a high water mark for the X Men films. Mm-hmm. The Raven makes one of her eyes yellow. Oh look, you have heterochromia too. Sorry, what? Look at her eye. <clears throat> right. Raven, get coat, please. Mystique fucked up. <laughs> yeah, he's he's. It's like the annoyed older brother. And then as they, it is. And then as they get home, it's clear that while he may look at her as his little sister, she clearly has romantic feelings for him. Right. So. So I think they they both do, but I think it is the fact that he thinks of her as her, his little sister that makes it different. Like they grew up together, and now. 
but they literally grew up in the same house. I feel like he's got something in there. Uh, see, I don't think I don't think he has any romantic feelings. Later on, you know, he grabs her and does like a side hug and a kiss, but it's very much like the sisterly kiss. Nothing- that's brother. Yeah, that's brotherly sisterly. Yeah. You know what I liked? We see somebody brushing their teeth in a movie. Mutant and proud. And talking with a mouthful of toothpaste. Mutant and proud. You never see that. It's always brush, 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 spit. Let me talk now. Right. Just for her to go, mutant and proud? I was just like, oh, what a great moment. Because you don't see that often in movies. You'll see them with the toothbrush hanging out of their mouth to make it funny. It's never, I've got a mouthful of toothpaste in my mouth. <laughs> I like that. So she's like... Would you date me? Of course I would. And a young man would be lucky to have you. You're stunning. Looking like this. I... You, what? Blue, you're my oldest friend. I'm your only friend. Thank you for that. Well? I'm incapable of thinking of you that way. You're, I feel responsible for you. And she sees it. And she's pissed. <laughs> Beautiful setting the place for what we're going to get later. My only problem here is that, you know, I was talking about that it's very clear Vaughn was going for a 60s aesthetic feel to the movie and therefore using a lot of natural lighting in the film. You can barely see uh, Jennifer Lawrence in these scenes because it's the the way it's lit with the blue makeup. Because I I believe, uh, so I know Rebecca Romaine wore the contacts, but I don't think Jennifer Lawrence ever wears the contacts. I I think it is digitally done, always, the yellow... I creepy don't blame her. I eyes. can't imagine putting something into my eyeballs. That's no fucking well, especially since it's a uh, uh, scrilia. I think it's called. It's one that covers your entire eye, like um, uh, the, the vampires the or the. It covers yeah. It okay. covers it, the whole thing. It like pretty much goes back. Um, uh, the Varburton. Okay, for when oh. Jordy took his visor off, he would have to wear them. Yeah, fuck that. And he was literally blind. <laughs> like, he could not see when he had the 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 things in, because it just oh, fuck blocks that. everything fuck. out. Uh, in Underworld, the lichens also have them. All right. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, well, yeah, that's a hard pass for me. No way. Uh, all right, we're back with Eric. So, he's got to be in Switzerland. They're speaking French, but they do speak French in part of Switzerland. So, he's trying to sell a Nazi gold bar. Um he threatens the banker who points out that uh, mere possession of that bar is illegal. He calls his bluff. I love it. He's like, mere possession of this, I should call the police on you. I don't think you're going to because I know what kind of bank this is. That's right. That's <laughs> right. It, he could care less about the gold. He wants to know, you know, where did the Nazis go? Specifically where, where these two specific men are. Yeah. Uh, no, he's after, isn't he after... Sh- it, Oh, I, he knows I, this guy doesn't know where Schmidt is. He knows that this guy knows where the two guys who know where Schmidt is. Are. That's where the tapestry of crazy got comes it, got it, got it. Oh, that's what it is. It's tapestry of crazy. No, I think he specifically references Klaus Schmidt and the banker. Tells oh, and then the other guy. Yeah. I don't know where he is, but I know these yeah. guys. Oh, you're right. He's you're in right. Villa Giselle in Argentina, which, of course, historically, that's where the Nazis fled to. So great. Looks like we're going across the pond. Tom, I know you don't like teeth pulling stuff. How did you feel about him getting his... Uh... Totally fine. It's only the filling. Uh, okay. It wasn't the whole tooth. But Believe it me, I, doesn't look like it feels good. It does not. But I, And I kind of noticed that. But I was like, oh, it's just a filling. That's fine. No, that was not like uh, the Marathon Man level teeth. Is it safe? 
Yes, it's safe. It's very safe. So safe you wouldn't believe it. All right. So now we're in Las Vegas. We're in front of the Atomic Casino. We are introduced to Glenn Morshower. Colonel Hendry. And Rose Byrne. Rose Byrne, who... You know, takes a detour into comedy. I think of her more as a funny actress, like from Bridesmaids. Well, and Neighbors. Oh, Neighbors. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's very funny. She's another one who has an amazing American accent to the point where in Neighbors, I'm like, why is she doing an Australian? Oh, she is Australian. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So um, Moira McTaggart and her partner, who I didn't bother to grab his name, are following Colonel Hendry. We learn in a little bit of an info dump, there's mob bosses, CEOs. So this is the Hellfire Club. Which is a famous club in the in the comics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, that kind of grounds us. So Now, is Shaw part of the Hellfire Club in the comics? In the comics, he's he was typically drawn with the, like, the cravat... And the pants and the big old mutton chops, yes, yeah. And the uh, the the pants that only went to his knees with the big those are called pantaloons, pantaloons yeah. Uh, but of course, as soon as you know the Hellfire Club, that's a great Chris Claremont storyline or you know long running uh, antagonistic group. Moira, thinking on her feet, notices that all the women are going in their underwear. She strips. What What are you doing? Using some equipment the CIA didn't give me. Stay put. Which I believe is the honeypot. I, f- I have to feel like that has to be part of CIA training oh. is how to seduce someone. Well. Maybe like not like people who are like Adam Driver in uh, the report. But like if you're a spy, you got to be taught some shit. Like well, how to hold it, how to hold a glass the right way. Or I don't know. There's got to. I think we're, t- I think we are as- making assumptions based on our movie knowledge of intelligence operators. It's all real. Yeah. Okay. All right. She follows him in, although she loses him for a minute. She makes her way into an alcoved uh, booth, hits a secret switch and finds her way down into a passageway. Colonel Hendry has been Mm -hmm. taken into the Sanctum Sanctorum by an by the beautiful January Jones. Wrong franchise. Is that January Jones? No. Sanctum Sanctorum. No. Yeah. Listen, same uh, same comic book. No. It is. It is definitely January Jones because she is very pretty, but she is a terrible actor. Oh, that's unfortunate. But I say in this kind of role. Did you, you never watch Mad Men? Did you? I watched the first three or four episodes, and they were good. I just didn't care enough to keep. This is pretty much the same character that she plays, but in the end, something happens to the character. In case you ever go back to it, and I won't, and you see that persona of of like cold and detached strip away for a second. You're like, Oh, it's all an act. And it's this really oh, amazing wow. moment. And then she, she was okay on last man on earth. Uh, I did sadly did not stick with last man on earth long enough to get to her. She's in like the fourth episode. No, How did you, she's the, yes, she is. Who is she? She's the one that like, no. let me tell you exactly. She's not the one that he, yes, he first meets. No. Yes. Doesn't she? She doesn't show up till the end of the first season. I thought. Oh no, you're right. Will Forte is sixty six episodes. January Jones is sixty three episodes. Oh, I don't remember her being that. So it's that quick after he meets uh, Carol that Christian Shaw. Yeah, because that's the whole thing. He's like, oh no, I chose the wrong person. I gotta go back and I gotta find that because um, I regret not seeing that. All right, now Sebastian Shaw is there and. Uh, so this was Klaus Schmidt. He's Sebastian Shaw. He is telling Colonel Hendry. So I 
Here you block the proposal to position Jupiter missiles in Turkey. I expect you'll reconsider. Colonel Hendricks, like, we've had this conversation. You put our nukes in Turkey or anywhere that close to Russia, and you're looking at war, nuclear war. But, you know, essentially a snap of his fingers, Shaw brings in uh, one of his goons, the man with no lines, credited as Riptide, who is an X-Men character, but not this character. He doesn't have these powers. No, Riptide does. Uh, he's like, um, a, he can spin. He spins and he has like knives that he uses and can slash or like throw things super fast. Oh, wow, that sounds incredibly boring. Yeah, exactly. So Riptide summons some kind of mini vortexes in his hand, which is enough to, in combination with Emma Frost reading his mind. You're thinking of running, hiding. We'd find you, Henry. There's not a fortress in the world that could keep us out. Enough to kind of intimidate Colonel Henry. And at this point, Red Nightcrawler, Azazel, teleports in he's like you got someplace to be and teleports out well nightcrawler's dad yeah that was a later revision i didn't love that i'm not gonna lie to you i'm okay with the mystique and azazel being not in this movie but in in the comics i'm fine with that being the the history of it trying to remember when does so azazel doesn't show up until 2004 in the comic in in the comics so that might as well be like you know a thousand years later he's you know the claremont run establishes Nightcrawler as such an interesting character. And in all of that, we don't know anything about his father. I mean, I feel like it's even it's right. even a later revision, not as late as 2004, but it's an even later re- revision um, before we learn that Mystique is his mother. Right. So this, this one feels a little bit like shoehorning. He has a lot of the characteristics that Nightcrawler will have, except he's red instead of blue. And of course, Mystique's blue. So, you know. so when you take a red person and a blue person you make a purple person okay i really enjoyed moira runs out to her car and calls someone in the situation room and is like better be important mctaggart whoa whoa whoa, slow down you smoking them funny cigarettes people don't disappear colonel henry was there he was there mccone in the hellfire club colonel henry it whips over and henry sitting there in a tux which no one seems to have a problem with i agree with you general I've reconsidered my position, and I now believe we should put Jupiter missiles in Turkey. Everyone else is in their dre- uh, in their not dress uniform, but their what were those? Uh, their service. Service, yeah. They're not in fatigue. Uh, yeah, jeez, uh, is it the service or the dress? They have their coats on, which is a yeah. Everyone, everyone else is in their military rank uh, co- costumes. Oh boy, <laughs> whoops, <laughs> uniforms and. Uh, He's in a tux, and no one's like, why are you in a tux? What's happening? Yeah. But, you know, it cuts over to him. He's like, Colonel Henry is here, so unless he magically traveled 3,000 miles in the last 10 minutes, listen to me, I suggest that you stop wasting my time. And her nameless partner, what do we do now? We find an expert on genetic mutation. Ash got to... Professor of Genetics, Charles Francis Xavier. That's right. We see Moira following Charles out of a lecture hall, and then we're back with Eric. He's in a bar. It looks sunny, so we're going to assume it's Argentina. This is a wonderful scene. At the end of the scene, I just wrote, that was fucking awesome. Yeah. The tension. That, so let, let's explain. So Eric walks in, goes up to the bartender, orders a drink, takes a sip of it. Or orders a German beer. Does he order a German beer? Does Or does he just ask for beer and is given German beer because he takes a sip of it and says, oh, German beer. And the guy's like, only the finest. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Deutsches Bier. 
Claro. When, when he's holding it and the guy says, only the finest, just the look he gives it like, yeah, not the finest. <laughs> so watching this, you're like, oh, shit, it's it's going to happen. It's, it's going to happen. It's yeah. not good. So he uh, returns around, talks to the two people that are in, the only other two people in the bar. The one guy's like, uh, my father was a tailor. And the other guy's father was a... He's a sheep farmer. Sheep farmer, that's what it was, yeah. Sheep farmer pig farmer? Pig farmer. One of the two. Pig farmer. Pig farmer. And he's like, oh, my father was a blah, blah, blah. But uh, men like you took his life away from him. And like, uh, oh, but first they all sit down and they they clink and they're all drinking. And the one guy uh, that's closest to Michael Fassbender, the look he's giving when he's drinking the... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. He's definitely looking do, yeah. do, do we wait till he stops drinking? What do we do here? What's happening? Oh, no. And what a beautiful reveal. As <sighs> Eric turns his left forearm from palm down to palm up to reveal the, his tattooed number on the inside of his forearm. Mm-hmm. And the look at their faces is exactly the payoff we're waiting for. And not only that, but then it becomes uh, him systematically taking them out in just the coolest fucking ways. The one guy pulls a, pulls a, uh, a knife, oh, pulls a knife, says blood and honor. And he's in German, he goes, what would you like first? And he says something like, we were just following orders. That's what he says. And he goes, blood then stabs in his hand. Uh, The bartender pulls a gun. He has him turn it and, and shoot the other guy which is what you were referencing before, yep. then turns it on himself. Uh, then uh, pulls the dagger up out of the table mm-hmm. and it goes flying into the bartender and then back to his hand. So he stabs the guy again in the hand. <laughs> Fuck. And the, the, uh, just everything about the scene is beautiful. The, the, the hard, like almost angst rock that's going on while this is happening the music underneath it uh yeah this is this is what i'm here for it this scene reminds me a lot of the feel of a few different parts of inglorious bastards mm-hmm. that like, which had michael Fassbender naked, in it. <laughs> michael Fassbender, but just that kind of naked tension yeah and actually probably that scene well, two other guys are also in inglorious bastards too those two actors are yeah. they really yep no kidding. Oh, that's awesome. What I also love about this is, like, what, what also makes me angry is this is what the Magneto X-Men Origins movie would have been. Him fucking yeah. hunting down Nazis. Yeah. God <laughs> yes. damn it. Why did, why did Wolverine have to suck so much? Now, there's an important piece here. One of the men calls eric a monster and he says let's just say i'm frankenstein's monster and i'm looking for my creator so obviously this connection back to shaw mm-hmm. but um uh what i love about this is because this is stepping back in time you know magneto is one of the most powerful mutants in the marvel comics right but not here he's not you know here he can control a gun before it fires he can control a knife. He can control a coin, but it's that's kind of the level that he's at. And even with that, he's able to hunt down Nazis. Uh, again, he's vulnerable. Uh, it's just so so good. Yeah, it's it may be the best scene in the film. I mean, spoilers for the end. Yeah, no, you're right. So then we're, um, we're on a boat. Well, first. We've got, oh, only for God. informational purposes, Charles and Raven are at the pub. He's drinking a yard. Oh, that's right. That's where the yard, yeah. Warner comes up to him. He starts the come on. Do you have a minute? 
For a pretty little bean with the mutated MCR1 gene, I have five. I say MCR1, you would say auburn hair. It's a mutation. It's a very groovy mutation. Mutation, right? took us from single-celled organisms to the dominant form You know of what, this routine may go over great with the coeds, but I- I'm here on business. Looks into her mind, sees that she has seen other people like him, other mm-hmm. people that are special, and is interested. Then we're with Shaw and Henry on Shaw's yacht. Oh, shit! Get your tables ready, it's about to go down! Henry comes there and he's like, Well, I knew better than to trust you. He pulls a grenade, and it's like, you hey. You let me walk out of here with my money, or I will pull this pin, and we all die. And uh, Shaw walks up to him and says, no, you won't. Grabs it, pops the pin out, pulls the, the, the trigger, in essence. I don't know if that has a name on the grenade. So the pin is holding the spoon closed. Right. So he pulls the pin and then releases the spoon. He yeah, says, but I will. And then he... Heart, like you see, like a thousand hands pushing it back into one hand and closing the explosion in like a star in his hand. So that effect holds up really well, in my opinion. Every time that that happens in the f- film, it's really cool yeah. looking. It holds up, yeah. And he he takes it over to Hardy and just pops it in, uh, or puts it on his chest. I think he just touches him, yeah. Yeah, just touches yeah. it. And he goes, oh, he explains what his mutant power is. He can absorb energy at an infinite level. And uh, it keeps him young. And it keeps him young, but he can also use it like like a weapon. In essence, it's it's yeah. uh, it's like strong guy. Yeah, oh, he can discharge it. Yep, 100%. It's kind of like uh, Black Panther, too, right? Like, he'll absorb it, and then... Oh, oh with, the, with the suit that Sherry builds for him, yeah. Yep. I, this is a, a different take on Shaw... Then we get into kind of the classic X-Men. That Sebastian Shaw, who's also sometimes called the Black King or the Black Bishop, um, he does have that ability to absorb energy. For him, it transforms directly into physical strength or like a healing uh, ability. Um, Not quite, but he's uh, not in any of the period in which I was reading the comics. He never rises to this level. I would suggest that this... Sebastian Shaw in the in the movie is probably like apocalypse level, like what I know of apocalypse from the comics. He's almost that like omega level, all powerful mutant. Because yeah, as long as he can keep getting access to energy, you know he's he ha- is so powerful. Right. Um, and that said, I like this character. He's a great he's a great big bad for the movie. Oh sure. Oh uh, well, especially with it being Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, we didn't talk about in the scene where uh, they're in Las Vegas. I really like how Kevin Bacon is doing an American accent in a way that someone who used to speak German would try and hide that accent. Really pushing his R's. He's really like, it's almost he's doing this kind of thing where he's making everything like this. It kind of goes away as the movie progresses, but he sets the tone in that first scene, which what I was always taught with accents is come in real strong with your accent and then you mm-hmm. can ease up on it. So the audience goes, Oh, this guy has a New York accent. This guy has a Southern accent. And then if you lighten it up, it it's, it's easier on them as opposed to just being at a mid-level accent all at the beginning. That's interesting. I wonder, and it's pure speculation because it, 
and it's only based on that hint that he specifically tells Henry that the energy keeps him young. My assumption is he wasn't German originally. Like my assumption is he's one of those mutants that's hundreds of years old. So he's like, um, never mind. I can't think of his name. I'm too tired. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Well, isn't apocalypse like that? Is it, doesn't apocalypse start out like prehistoric, like Egypt? I know we haven't watched that movie yet. <laughs> okay. All right. But uh, in, in the comics, he is the first mutant. Right, right, yeah. Um, so I almost feel like I, I wonder if that was at all inspiring, like the the character we get in this movie. But maybe, maybe. I mean, right. isn't Sinister the same idea? Isn't Sinister supposed to be thousands of years old? I mean, all these characters, Apocalypse, Sinister, all of them when they came around, it was like, and they're hundreds of thousands been here of forever. years. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Yeah, yeah. Can we yeah. find a new backstory? Oh, and then we had Cable and Strife, and we all went, what? <laughs> Because I still can't tell you Cable and Strife's backstory. All is all I know is that Cable is isn't he Cyclops' son? Cyclops and or is it Strife? Because Strife and Cable. Oh, I don't know who Strife is. So okay, yeah, that's, I, that's it was period fucking I confusing, and I was like, wait, Got it. is it? Wait, mm-mm. all right, uh, okay. So now we've got Charles uh, Moyer has brought Charles to the CIA. Um, he's doing his best to best to brief them, but of course, everyone in the room is skeptical. Uh, CIA Director McCone, played by a that guy actor, uh, is it Jason Craven? Is that his name? When you see him, you're like Matt Craven. Excuse me, he's that guy. Yeah, total that guy actor. Um, he's there, skeptical. We've got a striker, not the striker we'll get from the. Stryker Sr. Movies, but yeah, his father. Right, because he says, uh, he, he goes to both of them and, and reads their thoughts. I didn't really expect you to believe me, given that all you could think about during my presentation was what sort of pie they were serving in the commissary. It's apple pecan. I haven't been entirely honest with you, love. I'm sorry. You see, one of the many spectacular things my mutation allows me to do is that I can read your mind. I've seen this before in a magic show. Are you going to ask us to think of a number between 1 and 10 now? <laughs> no, Agent Striker, although I could ask you about your son, William, who you were thinking about, which is very nice, but I think I'd rather ask you about the Jupiter missiles America are currently placing in Turkey. They don't react well to Charles reading their mind. He's a goddamn spy. You brought a goddamn Everyone starts to freak out until Raven stands up and transforms into Striker, which shuts everybody the fuck up. I really like when they're all yelling at each other. I think Rose Byrne has the best reaction. No, no, I would never bring a spy in here. It's almost like in, uh, we talked about it in Knives Out, after the eat shit, eat shit, eat shit, eat shit, definitely eat shit. When he's walking out of the room, they're all yelling. If you listen closely, you can hear Michael Shannon say, I will not eat one ounce of shit. <laughs> like it's, he's totally reacting to what just happened. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> but it's so good. So he's reading minds left and right without permission. I'm wondering when the change is because in X-Men 1, he's like, I don't go into people's minds without their permission. So we don't really get that. We won't, we won't get that at all in this movie. The closest we'll get is at one point when Raven and Charles are having a conversation. Um, Raven makes the reference that you promised me you'd never read my mind. That's right. the, you, you are right. That is a defining characteristic of the modern Charles Xavier that also goes hand in hand with his 
you know, like the founding mission of his school, which is to control the powers they have. Um, Not to use them for evil. Yeah. Yeah. The backstory in the comics, which again, we don't get it here, but in the comics, Charles Xavier as a young man was like a star athlete because Mm -hmm. he would use his powers to read which way the, the guy on the football field was going to move in front of him. Right. Right. The other way. So I'm more talking in movie universe, which at this point, this movie still connects to X-Men 1. Sure. Yeah, no. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. We won't figure out where that hap- that happened. But at this point, he's already made a promise to Raven, which my guess is was years right. prior. But that's the closest we get to aligning him with those with that characteristic of older Charles. So everyone's rip shit pissed in this scene about this. And Stryker's like, you know, pretty much like, fucking muties, fuck you. And then for some reason, Oliver Platt is in this movie. Without a name. And it's like... As that for a magic trick? Best I've ever seen. He is the, the original uh, man in He's black? credited as man in black suit. How the fuck did they get him in this movie? They get... I mean, you know, despite the fact that the last couple movies sucked. I mean, it is a big franchise. Yeah. Um, and it's a one movie. Hey, Matthew Vaughn was an up and comer. Yeah. Okay. 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 As Moira and her partner go out into the hallway, her partner's leaning over to get a drink of water from a fountain and freezes when Charles makes contact mm-hmm. with her telepathically, says, I'm as interested in this Sebastian Shaw as you are. And if you still want my help, meet me on the third floor of the parking garage. At this point, we've got Charles and Raven and Oliver Platt connect with Moira. I love the end of this scene where Oliver Plastic. But I, I cannot take you anywhere else without permission from upstairs. Would you like to see one more magic trick? Okay. Touches his temple. Get in the car. Good idea. And <laughs> he gets in the car. Yeah, it's, it's good. Yeah, I'm wondering what the uh, touching the temple, I mean, in the comics, that's, you know, you would always see Professor Xavier doing sure these kinds of things, but Stuart never did it. Yeah, and again, in the comic, you know, it's a still frame. Like, so that's really... Yeah, the circles coming out from yeah. his head. <laughs> no, no, that was always Ringmaster. Charles was it was always the squiggly lines. Oh, that's right, squiggly yeah. lines. I think in the X Men TV show. Oh, was that it? Would be struggle? it would be like a sonar type thing, like Banshee, like we get with Banshee here. Yeah. Yes. Um, exactly. So now we've got Eric doing his like special forces rising up out of the water at a. Doc, which is pretty badass. Which also, you know, part of the end of the last scene is Charles senses Eric and is like, Agent McTaggart has a lead on Sebastian Shaw, and if we don't move now, apparently we're going to lose him. Eric makes his way, so it's Shaw's yacht. I mean, there's no, we get kind of right to it. The yacht that we just saw Henry on, uh, Henry explode on. Uh-huh. Shaw's there. Eric confronts him, um, but Emma springs into action and paralyzes him with this kind of telepathic mind pain. And then a squirrely boy, Riptide, throws him out into the ocean. And in kind of a comical way, the way he's thrown out, I I, I, I laughed a little. Because it's clearly the, the pull cord stunt where the stunt person has the it around their waist. Yep. And it's literally just a yank. A bunch of either it's a mechanism or a bunch of really strong people just yank them as hard as they can. And it always makes me laugh. I don't know why. <laughs> there's not too much subtlety here. Like there's a little bit where the, the you know, it's kind of like, okay, well now this happens and now this happens. So 
Charles and the CIA crew are there with a boat. Now it's a party. Not just a boat, but they've got like the attack commandos in the little attack boats closing in on Shaw's yacht. Riptide, after he's thrown Eric into the water, kind of spins up these cyclones, flips all the attack boats. Um, Oh, boy. And then Eric takes the fucking anchor of the boat and the chain and rips the chain through the ma- the main section of it he gives the ship a haircut it goes right through yeah he does and shaw and uh, emma frost escape in a submarine get those wonderful toys eric uses his control of magnetism to pretty much tractor beam himself to the sub again this is not the magneto from you know the adult magneto from the comics he, he, so he can make a connection to the sub, but the sub's pulling him along. He's basically water. Right. He can't pull it out of the water. Right. Um, He can't even stop it. He's Luke on, he's Luke on Dagobah. Yeah, that's right. He's totally Luke on Dagobah. Um, Charles sees what's happening and yells for Eric to let it go. Charles dives into the water, grabs Eric, and then telepathically says, you can't, you'll drown. You have to let go. I know what this means to you, but you're going to die. Please, Eric. Calm your mind. They pop up out of the ocean. Uh, who the hell are you? I'm Charles Xavier, Eric Lencher, and they're best of friends. Hooray! Hooray. Uh, so now we're at not CIA headquarters, but CIA covert research base. Which is wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It looks like the Avengers compound. <laughs> it kind of does. It doesn't, there's nothing covert about that. You look at that, you're like, oh, that's a government building. I mean, it's clearly. Yeah, some, some shit's going on there. Yeah. Here, here's my question. This is called X-Men First Class. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't this just be called X-Factor? It's a government-sanctioned mutant team. That is literally what X-Factor is. Well, no, because very specifically, Eric makes the point that if they're bringing in mutants, it should be mutants bringing in mutants. That's still X Factor, but no, but no, they very uh, they very specifically say that they are not. It's not a CIA run operation, but it's government funded. We're to be the CIA's new mutant division, yes, something like that. I think this movie should be renamed X Factor. Okay, just like that dude on TikTok that wants all the Star Wars movies to be renamed different Ugh. things from the franchise. Oh, <laughs> Did you watch it? No, I didn't. <laughs> It's silly, but you, you watch and go, well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> like, uh, episode one, what happens in episode one? We meet Anakin Skywalker for the first time, and he becomes a, a Jedi apprentice. It's the rise of Skywalker. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, listen, we're not going through that. All right. Well, the only other one I'll point out, in, in um, episode three, Order 66 is implemented, and the clones attack. It should be called... Attack of the Clones. I'm like, I mean, you're not wrong. You're silly, but you're not wrong. It's uh, supersonic. Most advanced plane ever built. They go into the CIA research base. Now, this is the unnamed man in black suits thing. And he is investigating paranormal powers and how they impact national defense or offense. We go into a big hangar. We see the Blackbird. And we meet Hank McCoy. And Charles... Out, Hank. Another mutant already here. Why didn't you say? Say what? Because you don't know. The whole scene is played as a gay analogy. Sure. The way he's like... I am so, so terribly sorry. Hank? Didn't ask, so I didn't tell. Oh, it's don't ask, don't tell. Okay, I get it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, uh... Man in black suit is astonished that uh, there's a mutant in his midst. So we we learned that Hank is not only super smart, but he's got some very impressive physical abilities. He takes off his shoes and socks, 
And we get, now, I will acknowledge there are people who are in defeat. I'm not in defeat. And I'm not anti-foot. I am foot neutral. But these feet, I am anti-feet. These feet are horror shows. I am anti-feet. <laughs> feet are gross. We're on them all day. That's a that's a okay. big fat no there. And these feet are definitely these feet. feet, Yes, these feet are. If you were on the fence, these feet make you anti feet. So he says he's super smart. He also has the feet. He flips himself up onto the model of the blackbird. And Raven walks over and says, You're amazing. Really? Almost looks like they're going to kiss. Was this a little like wink, wink, nod, nod, haha, aren't we funny to Spider Man? It does kind of have that feel. He's upside down. Yeah. And she could have used any other. Uh, descriptive word than amazing, but why choose the one that is linked with Spider-Man? That's fair. It, it definitely has that vibe. And the chemistry between him and Raven is palpable. Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt started dating while making this movie, so... No kidding. Oh, yeah. that's sweet. Yeah, they dated for the two or three years, up until uh, pretty much when they made um, Days of Future Past. Huh. All right. We now see Shaw. He's watching the news. The Russians, as expected, are not happy about the missiles in Turkey. Um, uh-huh. Shaw shows Frost a helmet that looks familiar, if you've been paying attention. Oh, my God. That helmet is beautiful. That the Russians made for him that will be important later on. Um, but it, it looks, it's comic accurate. Oh, yeah. I mean, Mata has to be so happy with it here. And then when we see it at the very end of the film, because then it is with a paint job, truly comic accurate. And I'm so sad. He gets the stupid looking one in the next one. Yeah. And they don't continue with this beautiful helmet. I mean, I was so excited. Yeah. I don't know why they didn't. Cause it's perfect. It is perfect. It, it might be the best looking thing in the movie, in my opinion. Like it's oh, yeah. when Shaw is wearing it, when Eric takes it, it's just, Everything we need it to be. So now we've got Hank and Raven talking. They're torn because of the ways in which their power separates them from the world. They both want Mm -hmm. to feel normal. Hank tells Raven that he's working on a serum. The nature of your mutation, if any genes hold the key to changing appearance, it's yours. To support him, Raven gives up, gives him some of her blood. Um, Eric interrupts them. Um, He leaves, but Charles comes out to confront him. And convinces Eric to stay. Here you have the chance to be part of something much bigger than yourself. And then we see the proto-cerebro. That's just a weather doppler. Yeah, it started out that way. Um, and Man in the Black Suit says that uh, Hank took that and made it into something else. So, of course, we'll understand. With this, Charles can connect to this machine. And basically, it amplifies his powers to an amazing level. He can basically sense the location of mutants across the entire globe. And we see that happen as he puts on, did your mom, I don't know if you're old enough, did your mom ever have the hair dryer, the the big thing you would you would open mm-hmm. up at home? That is exactly what this is. 100% what this um, so evoked. He, Do you know the, the little meta joke with, uh, are you sure we can't shave your head? Don't touch my head. Yeah. Oh, that's, it's funny. And there's a few points where I'm like, oh, yep, I see it. So go ahead. <laughs> so anyone who doesn't know, um, McAvoy, when he found out he was playing Professor Xavier, shaved his head, showed up to rehearsal, and Matthew Vaughn very kindly was like, no, we're not. 
you have hair in this movie. So if you look closely, you can see at some points he's he's got extensions on the top of his head. At some points he's got a full wig. By the time they get to Cuba, I believe, or not uh, not Cuba. Uh, yeah, no, it's Cuba in the end. They're they're on the coast of Cuba. That's his real hair. But there are lots of times it's moving like wig, I, wig, yeah. wig. And there's there, and there's times where the wigs really don't look good. Like uh, some of the side shots where you see, you're like, oh, that doesn't even. It's like carpet. It's like it's so like they had, to, they had to rush. It wasn't part of their budget. One hundred sixty million. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I just figured, like, maybe ask your director before you cut your hair <laughs> right. in any way, especially shaving your fucking head. That's right. You know what I like? I actually feel like now. To be fair, they've had many movies to do it, but the what we see, what happens when Charles boots up into Cerebro, looks exactly like it does in X Men. Yeah. It captures the feel. I think it looks better here. I I think this. I think Cerebro never looks better than this. I think it's like amazing. I mean, we haven't seen them all, so we can't mm-hmm. say that definitely. Maybe that's the best thing in in Dark Phoenix. <laughs> Maybe there's a Cerebro scene in Dark Phoenix where we're like, oh my god, which God willing, we'll never see. So fingers crossed. Okay. Oh, I have bad news for you. It is it is in the helmet. Oh, I know it's in the helmet, but we still got a bunch of movies to get through. So. So then we shift to Charles is locating mutants and we're going to go find him. So yes, we have the mutant mutant search montage is what I call it. That's right. So the character in the comics in the comics is Tempest. For some reason, she's named Angel here. She's a woman dancing in a go-go bar. You cats know it's double for both, right? With dragonfly wing tattoo on her back that basically animate and she flies. So she's Angel. Played by the wonderful Zoe Gravitz. Yes, yes. Meet a young black man, cab driver. What two fellas? Richmond, Virginia, please. Right. So you want the airport, the station? What? No, we were rather hoping you would take us all the way. That's a six-hour drive. That will give us plenty of time to talk. His name is Darwin. Uh, so these are all comic characters. Uh, Alex Summers is in Solitary in a Jail. First guy I've ever met who actually prefers solitary confinement. It's going to be Havoc. Was Alex... Alex in the comic was was he a military person? N- not in the era I was reading. Okay, um, it, you know it's it's totally possible that at some point he got. I don't remember him ever being military. Uh, was he military? He, I oh I didn't I thought, read. I thought he was in a military prison. Oh, I just read that as a regular jail. I I could be wrong. Uh, okay, trying to see if if. There's a note about where they find him. According to Wikipedia, yeah, Army prisoner Alex Summers. Yeah. So I didn't pick up on that. Well, well done. Sean Cassidy uh, trying unsuccessfully to pick up a young woman in an aquarium uh, banshee. Oh, he's bad at this. You like fish. I like fish, too. Maybe we should get a bite sometime and talk about it. It's really funny, though. <laughs> I'd rather go out with the fish. And Caleb, um, what's his What's his middle name? Caleb Landry Jones. Landry Jones is a fantastic actor. He's awkward and weird. Oh, my God. So good. He's the brother in Get Out. Yes, he is. Totally did not even recognize him. Oh, my God. And he's also in uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a uh, musician. I didn't know that. Holy shit. American made. Oh, that's the one with Tom Cruise. I didn't see that one. I was thinking. Oh, that's. Pretty good. All right, so that's our collection montage, buttoned with the phenomenal Hugh Jackman. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lentra. Charles Xavier, go fuck yourself. White Queen senses that, he, that like, we, we kind of get a little bit of what their plan is. Uh, Shaw's in this room that we don't really know what it is at this point. We know it's in the sub because earlier 
earlier he was sitting with Frost. He asked for some ice, and she walks through the tub, pops up. Yeah, he's yeah, he is. I was thinking that you are the most exquisite thing I've ever seen in my life, and that this needs ice. Fuck you. And then, and then he, I think he says, get me some, would you? Or something like that. No, when she walks away. That was a good girl. Okay, we have to take a brief break in our review of X-Men First Class to hear about the other fantastic shows on the Night Shift Radio Network. You're listening to a Night Shift Radio production. Night Shift Radio is a modern media company bringing you shows that entertain, inform, and most importantly, provide an escape. Never Heard of It dives into the world of bad, obscure, and sometimes just weird movies. Follow along with the crew of Set Condition 1 as they experience the 2004 sci-fi hit Battlestar Galactica one episode at a time. Each week on Left of the Dial, we explore a new record or revisit an old favorite. We'll bring in guests to talk about their own music and the state of the industry. The Superpod HeroCast. Guys with beers talking about movies with capes. They draw a random comic-inspired movie from Thor's helmet and offer thorough, insightful, and humorous commentary. And once a month, tune into the Storyteller series and get lost in the magic of a good old-fashioned radio drama. Learn more about these fine shows at nightshiftradio.com and subscribe on your favorite platform. So the next scene that I want to talk about is mm-hmm. uh, the start of a trope for just these two characters when they're sitting on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, Charles and Eric. What are they doing? They're debating their methodologies. What's in between the two of them? This one, they're just on the steps, right? They're playing a game of chess. Are they? I thought they were just yes, on the steps. Yes. No, oh. they're on the step. I'm like, we get it. They play chess. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. The gang, the students, the first class, are kind of uh, forming this, these great little bonds. Um, we learn about Darwin's powers. He has the ability to adapt, so this mm-hmm. is a little bit fluid. Um, he sticks his head in a fish tank and all of a sudden sprouts gills. Uh, Angel has the ability not only to fly, but she can basically spit like a fiery acid. Yeah. Uh, is that is that her? Is that Tempest? I think so, yeah. Okay. she's a, Again, she's a later character. Um, some of these, I feel like they kind of just shoehorn in. Um, <laughs> Alex does not want to use his powers, but finally, like, grudgingly agrees. They go outside, and he is like the original loose cannon. No control over it, but holy cow, is he powerful. And he destroys a statue of... I don't recall who it was. Some probably some I, old white guy. I thought it would be uh, the sitting president. I thought it would be Kennedy, but it doesn't look like it. It weirdly looks like Johnson. And I'm like, um, did someone fuck up and not know their history? Johnson wasn't president in '62. No, that that can't be it because Kennedy's in this. I mean, like the archival right. footage. So yeah, I, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, they choose their code names during this montage. Also, okay. as their party is busted by Moira, Charles, and Eric, Charles and Eric get their names as well. You should be Professor X, and you should be Magneto. I love, I love the biting. Exceptional. He just walks away <laughs> from them. <laughs> That's totally. And you know, the funny thing is, Charles and Eric are not that much older than them. But it is so like, oh, shit, your parents got home early. Oh, yeah. Rose Byrne's look is just like, (laughs) I don't know if she had any of her children at this point, but it was good practice for whatever thing that her child 
her children did. Yep. Now we jump, and this is one of the places, the story in this is pretty good, but there's a couple places that didn't make sense to me. We get the low, the text on the screen that this is a Russian military retreat. Somehow, Moira, Eric, Charles, and a bunch of army troops are in a truck driving up to this building. They get stopped. Suddenly a blockade that they didn't know about. But again, it's a Russian military retreat. How do you get these troops into Russia? That I don't quite understand how we got there. But in any event, Charles uses his powers to do a little bit of a mind fog on the guard. These aren't the troops you're looking for. Uh, (sighs) The helicopter lands. They see Emma Frost go into the building. She meets up with the coat dude from Batman Begins. That's right. You should have done better. Should have done better. So, again, we're seeing this. Shaw was pressuring the Americans to put missiles in Turkey. Frost is there to figure out what the Russians are going to do. She wants them to kind of ratchet up tensions. So, clearly, Mm -hmm. there's some larger scheme at work here. Um, Sure, sure. So, as she begins manipulating the general, he's thinking he's you know, about to have sex with Emma. Eric and Charles make their way in. She immediately transforms into this diamond form. Well, first, he does think he's having sex with Emma because she is projecting that into his mind. Right, yep. And comic book accurate, although it's a later comic book revision, her diamond form makes her immune to psychic powers. Is this part of the secondary mutation period? It is, it is. Which I, I, uh, that is before... This movie comes out, if I remember correctly, but it's much after. Oh, and they took it from this movie? Well, I think I think they, they grabbed it for the movie. No, no, no. The comic book. Oh, I'm sorry. You, yeah, I got gotcha. you. But it's it's much later, at well after she's introduced in the comics. So this is one of the only effects that doesn't hold up. Oh, you don't think so? The diamond effect looks good, but when she talks, I'm like, oh, it's a PlayStation 2 character talking <laughs> to me right now. And I'm wondering if it's partially uh, January Jones is not known for having a very expressive face. <laughs> oh, ouch. So I'm I'm wondering if that has something to do with it. Yeah. Like, man, I just thought the most expressionless movie would be if, it was January Jones and Vid Diesel in some sort of romantic comedy. <laughs> That's unfortunate. <laughs> um, I'm trying to see where, oh, maybe Genosha. Uh, oh, no, not Genosha. Let's not go there. So I'm trying to see when this secondary mutation yeah, kicked in. Yeah, might have happened in the comics first and they picked it up. The secondary rotation. Okay. But uh, TSPHC Army, if somebody knows exactly which came first, chicken or the egg, uh, let us know. Would brass crack a diamond? Diamond is... Hang on, while you, while you think yeah. about it, what, what happens here is they tie um, diamond-formed Emma Frost up to uh, a, a bed banister, or foot... What's the word I'm looking for? The end of the bed. The, yes, the footboard? Headboard footboard? Yeah, let's, let's call it that. Eric clasps her arms with it and puts one around her neck and keeps tightening it and tightening it and tightening it until it cracks right where her neck connects to her chest. And that's when Charles really is like, Eric, stop. And she changes out a diamond form and goes, there, it won't bother you for a while. Yeah, that's the thing. So diamond is 
the hardest substance on earth, right? But it right. but it it can shatter. And actually it's possible to chip diamonds. Right. Hardness means it resists scratching, but it can still be shattered. It's still breakable. And, okay. and that that okay. is a thing in the comics that she had like a molecular flaw in that form. So that she it, I think it's essentially so that she doesn't become an invulnerable character. It's just more like a protection against psychic attacks. Her diamond body is, you know, impervious to cold, resists heat. She doesn't tire or get, she doesn't have to uh, eat or drink. Um, She's almost invulnerable. She also doesn't have to breathe, but she has this single molecular flaw, which this is right from the Wikipedia page. If exploited, such as being shot with a diamond bullet can cause her body to shatter. So who knew? I think it's again. You don't want to make her invulnerable because then where's the conflict or the risk? Does it say anything in there about how? So obviously, you know, the the neck piece cracks, but the next time she takes her diamond form, she's fine. Does it regenerate itself the next time, or does uh, she like have to like not use it for a little while? Doesn't so it doesn't go into that detail, and and uh, I wouldn't necessarily trust it back to the movie. I think it's what's important to learn there is that. Eric will go much farther than Charles will, right? That's the right. That's what's important. Very you know, true. The secondary plot thing of um, she's going to give up uh, by forcing her back into human form. Now Charles can access her mind and is going to learn what Shaw's up to. And in fact, we see Shaw basically describing missiles in Turkey, the you know launches in both the USSR and America, and then this global thermonuclear war. Shaw, Shaw's plan is fucked up. Yeah. Uh, in this fact, is crazy. He's going to use radiation, which created the, the mutants, right? They're the children of the atom. He's going to use radiation to kill the humans while the mutants become stronger. This is Magneto's plan from X-Men 1. Sure. Uh, well. It, it irradiates everybody and gives everybody mutant powers, and when everybody is left with mutant powers, nobody can have a problem with them. Yeah, the difference is Shaw is specifically going to kill humanity. Kill humanity and whoever, who, yeah, and mutants and people who are affected. Like, I think he thinks that the the blasts will ignite the, the mutant gene in some people. Oh, I, I, I read that as um, he's just going to wipe out humanity. He's just going to kind of, you know, you know, okay. Clean the slate, and then mutants will be left, and they'll they'll rise. Well, either way, this plan is super fucked up. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, uh, now we're back with the kids. I love the visual here. This little apartment where they're staying, where they're protected by security on this research base, really has the effect of making them like zoo animals, right? One hundred percent. In fact, one of the one of the guards comes up and is like, "Oh, I didn't know the circus was in town." Hey, come on, honey, give us a little, uh, no, come on, let's see the foot. There it is. Come on, Bigfoot. Let's go. Hey, hey, come on. Hey. Hank closes the blinds and then they start hearing a weird noise. It's thumping sound. Oh boy. Which is a fucking ingenious use of powers for a bad guy. Right. If you have teleportation powers, this is exactly what you would do. If you're an evil genius. So easy, yeah. So uh, Azazel um, is teleporting in, grabbing security, teleporting like 100 feet in the air and just letting him go. Teleports down, grabs another one, teleports up. It's incredibly efficient. And he's like not just doing it in the yard. He's grabbing people out of like uh, 
uh, offices. He grabs Oliver Platt. Oliver Platt goes splat. Um, oh, I see what you did there. R.I.P. Oliver Platt. Um, That's right. Man in black suit. From the other side, Riptide comes in and, of course, is just stirring up a tornado. Security is fucked. You know what's also fucked? During this little speech that Shaw gives about, like... There's a revolution coming when mankind discovers who we are, what we can do. Each of us will face a choice. The enslaved. And the camera cuts to the black dude. Rise up to rule. Oh, I I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yikes, yikes. Did you think um, that Angel joined? So Shaw's like, hey, join my side and we'll be the dominant species on the planet pretty soon. Angel is just like, yeah, sure, let's do this. She switches sides so quick to the point where I thought she was going to double cross him in the end. Well, so here's the thing. So before the security guards become, um, you know, droppings, <laughs> as they're taunting the the gang, um, Angel turns to Raven and says, They're just guys being stupid. Guys being stupid I can handle. But I'd rather a bunch of guys stare at me with my clothes off than the way these ones stare at me. I would suggest that she's kind of had the worst experience of all of these misfits that they've picked up. Right? Like she's, you know, the, the, so she's not a prostitute. She's a dancer. But I would. But they have private booths. And this is the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I feel like she's seen the worst parts of humanity. So uh, Shaw's pitch makes perfect sense. Like, why the fuck should she be victimized by these lesser beings? Mm -hmm. Like, it makes sense. And then Darwin joins in, but he's just trying to get close enough to attack. Well, he grabs Angel, pulls her out of the way, Uh because he's given the nod to Alex. Right. Alex shoots his... In the comics, it's, it's plasma, right? It's a plasma blast? Yes. Yes. And it is here as well because as it hits the statue and at, like there's there's heat associated with right. it. Unlike unlike, unlike Cyclops, concussive blast. blast. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Again, Shaw absorbs it all. No problem. Makes it a little teeny gumball. Puts it in Adapt to this. Darwin's mouth. They bamf out of there. And like he goes through all these he turned metal at one point. All these different things happen, and he looks at Alex and becomes, for lack of a better term, normal-looking. Yep. And then starts to crack, and the light comes through, and right before it explodes, it cuts away. Doesn't he kind of give Alex the look of, like, it's okay? Like, I thought it was Right, it's not your fault. Yeah, yeah. It's not your fault. Don't fuck with me, all right? Don't fuck with me, Sean, not you. It's not your fault. So R.I.P. Um, Darwin, we barely knew you as a character. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like both these deaths would have been a lot more uh, impactful if we'd had more than a couple lines from both Oliver Platt's character and Darwin. You know, he's basically one step away from um, uh, who's the guy in Suicide Squad? Is it Zipline? Ripcord. Ripcord. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, him. I just love that every time this comes up, you cannot remember Rip Cord. No, you know what he is? He's the token black guy that's killed. Oh, yeah. It's pretty fucked up. That's fair. That's fair. Shaw threatens uh coat guy from Batman Begins to, to move the missiles. He decides to do it. We're getting into Cuban Missile Crisis yeah. territory. Eric convinces 
Charles that they need an army to counter the army that Shaw is building. Um, they also need a place where they can train in safety. And right. good news, we've got that. They're all standing there. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And Magneto looks at all of them and says, We can avenge him. Cut to Avengers, X-Men, the first class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you can't eat that one anymore. Uh, yeah, no, we're going to need that back. Um, so, yeah, so you we're ramping up the Cuban Missile Crisis angle. At the same time, we're getting this um, these series of scenes back at... So fun. These, this training montage is so great. And it's, it, it's really well done, right? So Hank, he's kind of the Tony Stark of the group. He designs a wingsuit for... Banshee. He designs basically a control harness for Alex to help mm-hmm. him get control over the powers. He discovers that Raven's cells uh, will result in her aging very slowly. Um, it's it's and also dur- during this, Charles quotes the beginning of uh, Jekyll and Hyde. In each of us, two natures are at war. Uh, that's going to play into the next movie. That's right. Even Eric levels up here while they're at the mansion. Um, Charles helps him tap into not only the oh. the, the rage and uh-huh. sadness that he has used to drive his powers. Charles unlocks the brightest memory in his mind, which is this beautiful shot of young Eric with his mother that he didn't even remember. And with that, he's able to find, you know, greater depths of strength and is able to turn this massive satellite dish on the horizon. And this is really opening a new chapter for Eric. He's never been at this level of power. So this is one of the X-Men movies that Danny has seen. Okay. I think this is the last one she saw. I don't think she continued on after this, but this scene, when this was over with him moving the, the tower toward the, the dish towards them, she goes, that was really good. Like, Fastbender sells the shit out of this. Yeah. He's so good. This is a great movie with great talent in addition to a great script and great directing. But yeah, holy shit, Fastbender. I would have been fine with X-Men Origins Magneto with Fastbender. With Fastbender? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Along the way, you know, Hank's got the serum completed. Again, it's not going to affect their abilities just the way they look. Mm -hmm. But Raven is having second thoughts about this. She tries to talk Hank out of using it. Uh But he leaves... He leaves her with one, you know, one hypodermic, and he's got his hypodermic. So she tries to get a, a pity fuck out of uh, Magneto. She does. And we have a meme alert. We do. This is it, a very famous meme. I prefer the real this, a picture of something. I meant the real this, a picture of something. And then it's some sort of usually bizarre, not connected at all thing. And then it's Michael Fassbender. Perfection. That's right. She's in his bed naked. The second cameo. Yes. First he says... Um, Maybe in a few years. And she morphs into Rebecca Romaine, and she says... How about now? He turns around. I prefer the real Raven. Turns back to Jennifer Lawrence. I said the real Raven. Turns blue. Perfection. Perfection. Yeah. And, and she is DTF at this point. She's like, wait, you think this is... Okay, oh. let's... Oh no no no! Because no. she, the next thing she says after she transforms to bl- to Blue Raven, could you pass me my robe? She's embarrassed. Oh, you're right. She does leave at that point. This is the real Raven, and she's vulnerable, and we don't see her vulnerable. You're right. You're completely right. So she goes to see <laughs> Charles naked, <laughs> and, and McAvoy's reaction here is perfect. You know, sometimes I wonder what my life would have been like if you hadn't found me here that night. 
Sorry, what? You, ah. God's sake, Raven. Where are your clothes? Put, put, put some clothes on. This is definitely a shot of the, the of the male gaze, how it twirls around. Like, there's other yeah. ways to show <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah, you see, and it, like, shows her midsection for a second, and she's kind of standing in a specific way. I'm like, I don't like this at all. The only thing that makes it okay is that then Charles is visibly uncomfortable. Right? Like, that, boy does that so good one, with this. Yeah, that's what makes it okay. Now, also, Hank has decided that he... He wants normality or normalcy. Mm-hmm. He injects himself. Um, he injects himself in his foot. And after a moment, his foot begins to kind of shrink. And it goes from that grotesque hand foot back to a normal-looking foot. A normal-looking, still gross foot. <laughs> That's right. But only for a moment, because then all of a sudden, now it starts growing to even larger than it was. And it's turning blue. Blue fur sprouts. His entire body gets physically larger. He sprouts claws. And the blue fur. And of course, if you've read the comics, you know, we know what we're getting. Yeah, this is right out of the comics. Yeah. Hank is looking for a cure, accidentally accelerates his mutation to this point. So they're in the lab, uh, and basically we get the shot of inside the box as we're seeing, you know, we are in the place of what they're looking at. So we just. We're Gwyneth Paltrow's head. Oh, what's in the box? What's in the fucking box? They do a pretty good job of capturing the feel of the comic book uniforms in a way that's not spandex, but looks good. And they also like, it's a very quick line. Do we really have to wear these? There's none of us mutated to endure extreme G-force or being riddled by bullets. I suggest we suit up. So my only problem with that though is he says, I say we suit up, and then he closes <laughs> the footlocker. I'm like, but not today. Charles, want to open that back up so we can actually get our uniforms? <laughs> like, I know what they're going for. They're going for a cut, but he could have grabbed one of them, and Had that could have been the, the Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. The blockade's getting worse. Uh, the Americans have drawn a line in the water. That's really hard to do. The Russian um, cargo ship, the Aral Sea, is make its way towards Cuba. The U.S. 7th Fleet is there to stop it. The Russians have sent their own fleet to uh, back it up. Uh, we know it's going to be bad. As the the two fleets are kind of closing in, the Blackbird swoops in. We're forgetting another that guy actor in this moment. Oh, Michael Ironside, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he totally is. That's pretty amazing. Um so Azazel has killed the crew of the Aral Sea, and he's in control of the cargo ship. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles takes control of a Russian officer and forces him to open fire on the cargo ship. So rather than the U.S. Navy firing on the ship, the Russians uh, destroy it, um, which is a little bit of a, like, what-the-fuck moment for both sides um i love his, i love the captain of the russian ship congratulations comrade you just stopped world war three take him to the brig <laughs> and he's yeah he says he's yelling shaw realizes that they're here he kind of fires up his backup plan puts his helmet on and banshee very smartly uses his he's going to use his sonar powers to locate the sub we find out what the backup plan is and it's fucking ingenious almost so good that makes you wonder why didn't you just do this from this <laughs> right i'm like why was this your backup plan shouldn't the cuban missile crisis have been your backup plan if you can turn yourself into a nuclear bomb just do that you have access to a nuclear reactor yeah, yeah he, so literally he tells oh he spocks himself 
totally he spots himself. <laughs> yeah. He tells uh he tells uh it's either Azazel or Riptide to turn the reactor to full power. It's Riptide because uh, uh who the fuck cares? Yeah. Uh, he goes into the reactor chamber, and holy shit, yeah, the, the two little rods come up, mm-hmm. and it's go time. So he's basically playing the game they have at Chuck E. Cheese. You know, you have to hold on to the two handles, and it looks like it's shocking you, but it's just vibrating. Uh-huh. That's basically what he's doing, but with a whole lot more power. 100%. Go with, the, with the safeties taken off. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And hooked in directly to the mains. Yeah. Uh-huh. During this, Eric now has become um, Luke Skywalker on Octu, and he is able to lift the submarine out of the water this time. And the look of both the Russian side and the American side of being like, what the fuck are we looking at right now? It's one of those moments that where you put yourself in the real thing, I would just, full evacuation, I would just be <laughs> shitting. Like, that sub is floating above the... That's right. What? Um, Who slipped me LSD? It's a nice callback to um, comic book canon, where at one Mm -hmm. point, Magneto declares war on the Soviet Union and destroys a submarine with all all hands on board. Um, So I I appreciated that. The submarine crashes for some reason. I can't remember. Oh, because somebody fires on the Blackbird. Riptide attack Blackbird. That's what it is. And Magneto loses it. It crashes. The Blackbird crashes. We have a showdown on the beach. Uh, And Charles gives this whole thing like, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And Magneto pretty much Leroy Jenkins this scene. He totally does. He totally does. (laughs) He's just like, I'm going to do whatever I want. And runs out, and and Charles like I don't know who that is. <laughs> That's right. Riptide goes out like a little bitch. Uh, he goes down in the first like two seconds um, as Eric rips a su- the side of the sh- the sub off, flattens Riptide, and then walks right in through the door. We see Havoc and Bat and Beast square off against Azazel, and it's a great combination fight. Azazel has got like a dagger and a sword. His uh, you know, his tail is essentially another limb and he's a mm-hmm. skilled combatant. It's a really, this is a, it's a great fighting. Yeah. All yeah. Around. Um, Eric shuts down the reactor. Um, angels, uh, swoops in and attacks H- havoc, uh, which destroys his harness, but Banshee kind of drives her off and then takes off. She follows Banshee. I mean, it's like, Bam, bam, bam. Everything happening here. All, yeah, all this is happening. At some point, Angel's, uh, one of her wings gets caught on fire. She's down for the count. Uh, there's this interesting, like, dark space within the sub that Charles cannot locate. Uh, it's the mirrors. It's all. It's it's almost like a bigger version of the helmet yep. that he's wearing. He's like, there's this blank spot that I can't see on the sub. Go there. And Shaw is using his kinetic push almost and throwing Eric into stuff. And that's breaking it. And that's when um, Charles can get into Shaw's mind and freezes him. No, 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 because no, he's got the helmet on. So this, this is what oh, I right. So he can... He can't con- he can't read his thoughts or control him, but he can at least sense him once the the mirror chamber is broken. All right. So how does he now? Shaw is not trying to kill Eric. Shaw is like, look, you're the most powerful one here. I want you. Come with me. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This. You know what I'm gonna do. Mm-hmm. And as he's kind of like leaning in, he's got he's got Eric 
literally pinned with a girder against him. Eric seems amenable to the approach and says, Everything you did made me stronger. Made me the weapon I am today. Is it the truth? I've known it all along. You are my creator. Eric has manipulated a cable behind Shaw to come in, and all of a sudden it plucks the helmet off Shaw, and bam, in that second, Charles has him. Kevin Bacon is doing his best mannequin work. (laughs) It's pretty good. Yep. Eric puts on the helmet so he can't be controlled. He holds up the coin. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to move the coin. The second that Eric puts the helmet on, I love Charles immediately knows. He's like, yeah. He's begging Eric not to go down this road. And he does. He takes the coin and slowly, but forcefully pushes it right through Shaw's brain. It's fucking awesome. It's so cool. It's not gory at all. There's a little blood on the coin when it comes out the other side because that's how our anatomy works. But other than that, it's not like oozing out of both orifices that he's just made in him. You know, there's very little blood. So we see the coin move slowly and it slowly pushes through and slowly comes out the neck. Is that intended to be slow motion or do you think Eric's deliberately moved it slowly through. Oh, he deliberately moved it slowly. (laughs) He has enough force to be able to do that with his, with his powers and he wanted it to hurt. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. Maybe he would have done it quickly, except the, the, the final straw that ensured what was going to happen to Shaw, the last bit of his like seduction of Eric, trying to bring him to his side. He calls Eric son. And that's mm. that was a bad choice. I yeah, you don't you don't yeah, that never goes well in movies. Yep. Or now, in musicals. <laughs> uh, we then jump to the US war room where we learn that the Russians uh share the concerns that the US has about these mutants, and they're going to join together for a preemptive strike. They're all on the beach. Let's take them out now. Eric floats out of the sub in the really cool Ian McKellen Magneto pose. Yeah, I read that both uh, McAvoy and uh, Fassbender studied their uh, predecessors. Nice. I think Fassbender gets it more. I'm wondering if McAvoy did it, and then he's like, you're a different Charles at this point. Uh, So so there was, uh, are you familiar with the... Graham Norton show. He's a British. Yes, I am. <laughs> Have you seen the one where McAvoy and Fassbender, uh, I think they're there with Hugh Jackman are on the Graham yep. Norton show. Uh, at one point, and maybe it was a joke, but McAvoy said on that, that um, basically he chose to believe that he was the only person who had ever played this character. Cause I think it was like, I can't, I can't try and put my mind around the fact that I'm following Patrick Stewart. 100%. I mean, both of them had to have been like, oh my God, (laughs) I'm so happy to be doing this movie, but oh my God, we're going against legends here. Yep. Fassbender gets it. Like the way he does his hands to do the magnetism is very much how McKellen did it this moment. Yeah. You know, he's got some of the mannerisms and it's even more in the next two. I don't know about uh, Dark Phoenix, but next two movies he becomes more and more McKellen as it goes. Yeah, this Charles, you're right. This Charles feels very much like a different character, which makes sure. sense because 
the significant trauma hasn't happened to this Charles yet. Well, it's going to in a minute. <laughs> for Eric, the trauma happened in 1944, right? For Charles, right. you know, he's essentially a different person. So, so this great tension of him turning the, the missiles and them going, and he keeps getting a little control of, of, um, of Eric and some of the missiles explode and they start moving again. Like, Oh, it's a physical fight. Charles physically tackles Eric. Cause he's still wearing the helmet. Right. But then it keeps like it's one or two or three times that like some of the missiles explode and then they keep going and then they explode and and then finally it's like one left and that explodes when uh, McTaggart starts shooting at Magneto and he's deflecting, deflecting, and he deflects one right into the lower spine of Charles. It's so well done, right? Like it, huh? it's perfect. Eric is his arrogance you know, and like his hubris almost of you can't touch me. Like this is insignificant. Um, it, it changes at a moment. The second that he sees that Charles has been shot. So he turns and he scoops up Charles in his arms, turns to McDaggart says, you did this. Starts to choke her with her dog tags. And Charles. She didn't do this. You did it. It's like the balloon deflating. It's so oh, well man. Uh, I do want to point out specifically, and I'll give the timestamp for yeah. the episode too. One fifty-five thirty-nine during Eric's impassioned speech about it's got to be us versus them, all that stuff. Specifically, the words mercy and ours, you hear his Irish accent come through. Oh, really? I've been at the mercy of men just following orders. Sorry, I thought you were. I thought you were German. <laughs> Didn't even notice that. And once again, these are the things I point out. <laughs> yeah. So Charles is shot. Uh, the, the team split up. Um, Raven joins Eric. What by Charles saying you should go with him. It's what you want. And right before they bamf away, Mystique looks at Beast and says, "Never forget, mutant and proud." They try and pick Charles up. He's like, "No, I can't." Actually. I, I, I can't feel my legs. Um, camera pulls back. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel the my music legs. Music swells. We hear JFK kind of reflecting on the Cuban missile crisis. Um, and then we see Charles in the X chair, right? And you're like, oh, here it is. But it's uh, not motorized. No, no. It's just the... Moira. More pushing him. Yeah. yeah. So it's like proto X chair. I just meant the X chair. The wheel has the big X on it. That's what I meant. Yeah. But I felt so bad. Like, I'm wondering if they just didn't have time to go back. She doesn't land it where it's a, it's an X for us yeah. instead of it being like it's a little off. Yeah. Do you think that would have been too on the nose? They did it a bunch in the other X-Men movies. Happened so many times in the other one. So they're going to turn the Xavier mansion into the school for gifted children, gifted youngsters. Yep. Because in the movie it's youngsters. Uh, like she's like so how many students do you think you'll have here once you get the academy up and running as many as i can manage possibly more slow down <laughs> you've you've never been around children <laughs> maybe start with like five <laughs> maybe start with a puppy i mean you know yeah you know you got some and then of course he understands the threat that the mutants now face right as long as humanity perceives these others um they will be in danger. And so anonymity will be their first line of defense. And with that, he kisses her and spins the world backwards on its axis. 
right? Oh, no, wrong movie. Yes, it, it, no, well, I mean, <laughs> yes, wrong movie, but exact same thing, except that she kind of has like more of a, it's not complete amnesia. I remember the attack on HQ, leaving to go somewhere else. And then this morning I woke up at home. That's it. All that time wiped clean from your mind. Just gone. He can do that. You don't remember anything. Sometimes I get fragments, like trees, sunlight. A kiss. Um, there's a very sexist line when she says, "A kiss." All the men groan. Oh Jesus! Director McCone is like, "Gentlemen, this is why the CIA is no place for a woman." What? Come on. Uh, it was sixty-two. Yeah. Oh wait. It, that line could be said today. That's right. That's right. Um, the debriefing is interrupted by a huge crash as we, you know, they rush to the window. We kind of pan down and we see Emma Frost in her, you know, fortified cell. The door flies open and in walks uh, Eric and crew. His helmet is now the comic accurate scarlet red and purple around the i don't love his costume but i love the look of the helmet they couldn't do the costume that goes with their, what they did smartly is at i believe at that time in the comics that's what magneto was, it was wearing. more of a suit yeah and it makes and it also is very much in line with what mckellen magneto wears listen that's totally fair you're translating to the thing the the helmet looks spot on and uh we we close the movie with join us eric i believe i prefer magneto and movie. movie Hey, that was, that was a good lot. X-Men movie. That was a great X-Men movie. I really enjoyed watching that. And I really enjoyed talking know, about it. Essentially, this is what I, what I think I like the most about it is they took some of the bones of the, of the care of the, of the books, you know, the characters, but essentially create crafted a new story. 100%. And I didn't feel, I didn't feel cheated by it. I didn't feel like they, um, they just swiped something superficially. I loved what they did with the story. I loved what they did with um, Sebastian Shaw. I mm-hmm. loved the white. Um, you know, Azazel was lethal and scary. I love the dynamics. I mean, it's not it's not the original, the uncanny X Men origin, but boy, it's it really works. good. And yeah. the, 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 I don't understand why. I'm, maybe I haven't heard enough people, or maybe this is. Um, much lower on the population seeing it. But like in, in the MCU movies, when something changes from the story that was in the comics, even little things, people seem to lose their damn mind. But this is very much rewriting all of X-Men history and, you know, beast and mystique having a relationship, all of that. Sure. And no one seems to be like, Hey, what the fuck are you doing with my characters? You know, you know why I think it's okay. So, uh, it, to be fair, I'm one of the loudest voices, right? Like, I'm going to bitch when we watch Days of Future Past. I will bitch when we talk about the Wolverine. Um, <laughs> I hate to take these great stories 
and then take just one or two surface elements or a name of a character and you go a different direction with it. So, I so like do you fact- like it here because it's it's an original story, so it yeah. gets to retell it. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. They didn't they didn't take a great story and butcher it into this. Right. They created a new story with characters that we know. Okay. And I'm okay with the changes to get there. Sure. Uh, so, Todd, we got some questions we got to go over. I'm going to bring back MVP just for this okay. one. And I'm gonna, sure. I'm not even going to bother having any suspense to it. It's Michael Fassbender. He's the fucking MVP of this movie. Yeah. McAvoy's good, but Fassbender, in terms of those two, it's it's his movie. Oh, my God. He's so good. Okay. Um, yeah. Who's your favorite character? Uh, it's it's beast hank he's 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 great yeah yeah Yeah, it's definitely yeah he's great he's great okay casey what's the best scene the bar in argentina Mm, yeah mixed with the attack on the russian villa both scenes with magneto taking out some bad guys yeah those are both Uh, fantastic scenes yeah so definitely the Argentina is great. It's just a great scene. Like even without, you know, his powers show up there, but it's a really well-written scene. The tension build, it's so incredibly acted and Mm -hmm. directed. Uh, That's good. But I would also put up there, you could, so all about the character and the story and the tension, awesome scene, but also awesome scene, the beach fight, like the climax battle, that delivers. Sure. Like we get everything we want there. So either I could go with either, either one of those. Okay. Uh, what's one scene you would cut? Um, I kind of feel like some of the the buildup, like the like we get it. It's the Cuban Missile Crisis. I kind of felt like that. The they were setting the stage for that a little bit longer, maybe than we needed to. But. I wasn't upset by it. That's probably the one thing I'd point to. How about you? Um, I wouldn't cut so much. I would re-edit the beginning of this movie so we're not jumping back and forth so much between... I guess I know what they're going for. I just... I didn't like it. Okay. Like, I wish it had told... I don't know. I don't know how to fix it, so maybe, maybe that doesn't make any sense, but that would be the only thing. Something about that doesn't sit for you. Yeah, it just doesn't... Yeah. That's fair. Uh, Casey, who is the actor having the most fun? I don't think it's Fassbender because he's got to go to a place to do these scenes that he's got. Yeah. Oh, I think this is a, there's a clear answer to this. Go ahead. Kevin Bacon? Oh, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, he's, Cause he's one a, done, cause also he's one and done. He's like, I know I'm only going to do one of these things. <laughs> he's not sitting in makeup. No. Um, but it's also an interesting character. You know, he, um, I saw, I, I was reading an, uh, a little quote on it that talking about how, I mean, as, as a villain should be written, you know, no one thinks they're the villain of their own story, uh, but that really applied to Shaw in this, that, you know, Kevin Bacon really liked the way they created this character mm-hmm. and, you know, gave him a perspective in that. So, and, th- and then on top of that, you also get kind of like the almost mustache twirling villain fun stuff. So yeah, he's sure, got he to do it all. I mean, he gets to be a literal Nazi in the movie. That's, <laughs> That's right. That's he's right. Yeah. The, what we all associate with pure evil, the bad guy that you don't ever have to feel bad about. Cause they're always bad. Right. Um, 
So as a reminder, the IMDb score for this movie was a 7.7 out of 10. Casey, how do you rate it? 9.5. Ooh. Uh, I, I don't really, know I'd go really like this movie. It's definitely, that's that's low. in my, The 7.7 I think is low. I'd go 8.7, up a full point, but okay. 9. In that, but, I mean, look, uh, I mean, it's it's a long movie. It's like two eleven with the credits. Right. Um, it's longer, but I mean, it didn't feel like it dragged. Maybe except some of the Cuban missile stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I'm quibbling if I'm taking stuff away. Um, now, Dad's breakdown. Well, do you I, watch I, it with? I, I already gave my answer during this. The Bean would not That's even true. look at the TV. So no. Uh. I tried to get the boys to watch it because I, I knew it was a good movie. Just couldn't get, couldn't line up their schedules, but yeah, I would watch it. Um, okay. I, I do think that there's less comic book action. So, a you know, a much younger kid might get bored, especially with the, the political angle, mm-hmm. you know, the U S versus the Soviets. Yeah. So, you know, being aware that, you know, a kid might get bored. I think, yeah, the, I think even the way that, uh, Shaw is killed again. It's clear he's dead, but it's not overly violent or no, not at all. I, I think so. if I could get the bean to watch this, she would just be like, Oh, that was gross. Like she'd yeah. not gonna go screaming out of the room or anything. Exactly. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, hey, Casey, you've got a big uh, responsibility here. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay, so... You know, we had some clunkers in season three here. I'm sure you're not going to pull a bad movie. I mean, it won't be your fault. You're just the master of our fate right now. Oh, it's just following orders. (laughs) Right. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right, this... Oh no, no, he's oh no, you face palmed. What hey no. remember when we did the crow? Oh fuck. Are we crow too? <laughs> no. I don't even know what it's called. Uh no. that's one of Gallo, right? It's uh, City of Angels. Oh boy. It stars oh no, Vincent Perez. Vincent Perez, yeah. Well he's got oh, like fuck. the Rachel haircut. <laughs> Yeah, Iggy Pops in it. Thomas Jane is in it. Richard Brooks. Oh fuck. All right. Oh, well, let's watch that trailer. People once believed that when someone dies, a crow carries their soul to the land of the dead. But sometimes the crow can bring that soul back to put the wrong things right. I thought that Eric was the last. I never imagined there would be another. It's another time, it's another world, and another has been chosen.
I'm not. I'm not happy about I'm this one. I, I, I sort of blame you. You should have held on to these. <laughs> yeah, listen, this is all you, buddy. Look what you did. Look what you did. I Look take no responsibility. <laughs> uh, all right. So let me pull oh, look, up. Uh, look what's mocking me. MCU right there. We could have watched Winter Soldier. So the the Crow City of Angels comes out in 1996. Oh fuck! Would you like to make a guess at what the IMDb score is? A three. Uh, not quite that bad, but not much better. A mighty four point seven. Oh god damn it! I think we're going to readopt how we did the uh, the Crow. We're not going to do the. No, I don't think we listen. I think we have to. I think we have to be true. You know, um, you, mm, you know who you know who wrote this? Who? David Goyer. Okay, that doesn't make me any more excited. Batman Begins, Dark Knight, Dark City, Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. I mean, the guy that who's, you know. Responsible for the DC universe. Motherfucker. I just, okay. Okay, well. Okay. Okay, so. uh, So that'll be next time, right? Yeah. Oh, hey. By the time that episode airs. Hang on. Let me just look something up real quick. Well, our Patreon should be out. Now I'm. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we'll know if we're fucked for another four years. This episode should come out November 6th. So, seriously, yeah, this is this will oh. be a November movie. So, oh, we can either rejoice and watch a bad, shitty movie together, TSPHC Army, or drink ourselves silly and watch it. Bad movie. I'm gonna call it now. This is not gonna be this isn't gonna be good. This isn't uh, I don't feel good about this, Todd. No, me neither. Don't feel me good at all. We can say here is uh so thanks for listening to this episode. Um if you like us, please rate and review us five stars on Apple Podcast. Yes, absolutely. If you don't have Apple Podcasts, some people like myself don't, wherever you got this, please leave us a rating and a review. It's powerful, it's important, it makes a difference. Yeah, if if possible. Music for the podcast comes to us from two places. Our theme song is Take a Chance by Kevin McLeod. He puts out a variety of music royalty-free at his website, which is incompetech.com. Our beer music is Feather Duster by Shane Ivers. That music is available at www.silvermansound.com. Com. So that'll do it for the Super Pod Hero Cast for this week. For Todd Panic, I'm Casey Ryan. For Casey Ryan, I'm Todd Panic. Be heroic. All right. It was synced up on my side. I don't know. Did you hear it synced up? No, it was not oh, synced up. Okay. Yeah. Right. We were introduced to Glenn Moshauer. Let me try that again. Okay. I feel like if they made it comic book. Hang on. Yeah. Wait for the train. Yep, we're in we're in the country, folks. <laughs> well, I'm gonna cut this out. I'm gonna let you finish your thought just without. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna stop recording because I'm sad.